Long ago, in a faraway land, there was a prosperous kingdom ruled by a young emperor. Ha! Boom, baby! He had a serious attitude. You threw off my groove. I'm sorry, but you've thrown off the emperor's groove. An evil advisor. By the way, you're fired. I'll take over and rule the empire. And one major problem. I'll just poison him with this. Uh. Hey, Kronk, can you top me off, pal? Be a friend? <laughs> a llama? He's supposed to be dead! Yeah, weird. Take him out of town and finish the job. Now, his only hope is a humble peasant. Demon llama! Demon llama? Where? You kidnapped me. Why would I kidnap a llama? You're the criminal mastermind, not me. What? Tell me Cusco's dead. Ow! Well, he's not as dead as we would have hoped. Uh-oh. No, 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 break. You're safe now. <laughs> or not. No touchy. Why did I risk my life for a selfish brat like you? Now I feel really bad. Bad llama. Ooh. Me. The emperor's got a new look. <laughs> a new partner. We're going to have to work together to get out of this. You know, it's a good thing you're not a big fat guy or this would be really difficult. <laughs> and a brand new groove. Come <laughs> Walt Disney Pictures presents... <laughs> the Emperor's New Groove. <laughs> Uh-oh. Don't tell me. We're about to go over a huge waterfall. Yep. Sharp rocks at the bottom? Most likely. Bring it on. Booyah! This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of... IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. All the galaxies. All for you. Why, hello there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast, also known as the IPC, and we're broadcasting live right here on channel 1138.com, and boy, oh boy, do we have a, what I could say, a groovy episode of the IPC podcast tonight. We are continuing our foray into underrated Disney classics, and uh, these are films that we have deemed underrated and ones that we want to continue with and uh, talk about them, and uh, so, yeah, that's exactly what we're going to do tonight, and we're going to be talking about something very, very special tonight, if you don't already know, but first, introductions are in order if you are new to the show. My name is Ben. 
and joining me, it is my good friend and co-host, Mr. Zach Arnold. What's up with you? Dude, this is honestly the best part of my day. <laughs> I I had a I had Same. a I had a really I had a really good start to my day. And then like the middle of the day, I got like this last minute service call from my boss at a at a location that was I want to say an hour and a half away from my current location. So it was like it was like a literal 90 minute detour out to this place. And then by the time I was done with the service call and headed back to town, I hit downtown Dallas in the middle of Friday rush hour. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. On a Friday, no less. It was brutal. Doesn't matter if Corona's happening. A downtown area like Dallas, Texas is going to have rush hour traffic. Guaranteed. And, uh, yeah, that made for a really, really brutal late afternoon, early evening. I had been home for all of, like, an hour before we got ready to start recording this episode. So, like, it has been a whirlwind of a day, but this is, like, the best part of my day. So I'm excited to be here, and I'm even more excited to be talking about this movie. I feel like this is a movie I have been trying to get us to somehow talk about for at least three or four years. You're not lying. You're not lying. I, I'm pretty sure I have mentioned this movie several times over and been like, it's one of my favorite Disney movies of all time and probably one of my favorite movies of all time, if I'm being honest. So I'm really thrilled to be here. I concur with you. And after seeing this movie, yeah, I, I, I understand why all the hubbub around this one has come about. And uh, I can't wait to get into it. But uh, first, we got we got some news out of here. We, we don't do we haven't do. done a whole lot of news lately, but uh, we got some news today and some stuff that actually broke today that yeah. as of recording this, um, apparently, and I haven't looked too much into this, so I, I, I'm, I'm going to pass it off to you, Zach. So apparently, Matt Reeves' Batman, the Batman movie, which is coming out, which is supposed to come out at some point, I think next year, was in production. P production got shut down, of course, because of the virus. Now it's mm -hmm. going back into production, and now they've announced a spinoff show for this thing. What is this all about? I mean, it, it's still very... Uh, loose as far as what has been officially revealed, but the the synopsis that I was finding on Twitter, according to IGN's post, is that whatever setting this Gotham City is in, whatever circumstances have befallen it, it warrants a police drama type TV series, and so it, it's yeah, it's getting a spinoff basically, and. The whole time I'm looking at this synopsis talking about, you know, the detectives and the police life and and managing the chaos of everyday life in Gotham City. I'm sitting here going, so basically Fox's TV show Gotham. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking, like, it's like Gotham 2. What is this? Like, haven't, haven't we done this? Haven't we been there and done that? But apparently it's like got to be matt reeves's universe it's got to be his gotham it's got to be his interpretation of it i mean I, i'm not gonna try and judge it too much before i actually see it because i think i judged gotham a lot harsher than i needed to and it ended up becoming one of my favorite uh fox dramas slash uh sci-fi tv series that were out there it was it was tough it was gritty it was uh, it was well-written, had good characters, good action, good storylines, those types of television cliffhangers like what we usually get with the CW. 
Like, they did a lot of really good things on Gotham. And so I'm keeping my hopes up that this will be something similar. But I also can't help thinking we literally just got done, like, a year ago with this Gotham TV series. It lasted for, like, six seasons or something like that. Like, it was a very... It was a very drawn-out show. Right. It lasted a good while, and it ended on its own terms. So, I mean, it, it told the story that it wanted to tell, and we just got done with it. Like, we literally just finished a, a Gotham series, and now you're talking about doing another Gotham City police-driven drama series? We just did this. We just had it. Now, granted, like you said, the movie itself isn't supposed to come out until hopefully sometime next year, which means the spinoff series was was going to be like a year or two after that. So, I mean, realistically, okay. we're probably not looking at this series happening until 2022, which would then give us about three years separation. But, I mean, even the Fantastic Four had a longer break than that before it got rebooted. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. So, I'm I'm just I'm just a little I'm just a little apprehensive. I'm trying not to like get super excited about it, but I'm not trying to be super disappointed by it either. Uh, our friend Stephen corrected me though. Uh, Stephen Schinder in the chat said it lasted for five seasons. Here's the deal though: that series was so good, it felt like six seasons. There like, you go. It was it was honestly like that was the one bit of sci-fi ish components that Fox got right. You know, they couldn't yeah. make it with Firefly. They couldn't make it with uh, Almost Human. They couldn't make it with Terra Nova. They couldn't make it with Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. But they did an entire series with DC Comics, by gosh. And it <laughs> turned out it turned out a lot better than I think a lot of people expected. Yeah, I've heard a lot of really great things about Gotham over the years. And, you know, as you said, it just wrapped up. And it's, it's weird. You know, it's exciting because... Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think we've ever had anything quite like this, like like them planning out, okay, we're doing a movie, and then we're doing a TV show alongside that movie that's going to tie directly together. Obviously, we've had crossovers between the movies and the TV shows, but nothing at this scale. So that's interesting and exciting, but the fact that it's going to be Gotham PD or whatever, and it's going to be focused on the police and, you know, presumably, you know, uh, Commissioner Gordon and all those guys, like... We just went over this? I mean, it's a yeah. cool idea, but it was just explored. Like, what can what new can they bring to the table? And maybe, obviously, it isn't, you know, Gotham isn't a secret. Like, they know what they're doing, and maybe we should just trust them and say, okay, obviously they've got something new to bring to the table, but it is interesting. Um, so here's you, what, I'm, what I'm curious about is... The, the Gotham TV series was about how the police tried to manage things before the rise of Batman. Right. But we're getting this Batman series, and uh, it, it's like this, this Batman movie with Robert Pattinson, and then we're getting the series coming after it. So I'm feeling like this Gotham TV series is going to be centered around present day and time Batman. You that know, you know, seems to be the case, yeah. Like adult Bruce Wayne. And that makes me wonder, is there a potential to sign Pattinson to this TV series? Could we end up seeing Bruce Wayne appearing in this Gotham PD show helping out the boys in blue? It, it over seems. The season finales or that type of thing, like the situation just gets so dire that you have to call for reinforcements type of thing. 
it seems like pointless to have a show that you're doing and and you're specifically saying it's connected to this movie, not anything else. This movie, and you're placing in this time period. It's not a prequel. It's a you know concurrent thing, which we're assuming at this point. Um, and then you don't have Robert Pattinson actually in it. That right. I, I feel like that's a huge missed opportunity. And you know this is not unprecedented. Like you know, you have Agents of Shield. Like that's the only kind of thing that I can think of is like, okay, it was directly tied in with the movies, and that show delivered. It gave you a lot of cameos from the Mm -hmm. movie actors, and and it delivered on that stuff. So, I feel like he has to show up at least once. Like, it's his universe. You're talking about Batman. It's a Batman. Gotham is known for Batman, for crying out loud. Like, this is a big deal. So, you know, getting him in there, I think, is key. And, you know, I think it it would be interesting to have, like, a and maybe, maybe this will be kind of a spiritual sequel to Gotham, maybe? Being that that was all about prior to Batman, and then this is going to be about when Batman is kind of getting on his feet as a younger Batman and kind of, you know, holding his own. Yeah, yeah, I mean, only if Ben McKenzie's in it will I consider it a spiritual successor, which I highly doubt. Um, I feel like this is going to be more of an extension of Matt Reeves' universe, and he gets to extend his arm into areas that he doesn't get to cover in a two-hour film. Yeah. You get to go a little bit deeper into the world building by doing it on a weekly basis or something like that. And uh, it gives you more character development. It gives a little bit more explanation to some of the stuff that happens in the movie. Uh, our friend Francisco's in the chat saying, he says, my fear is that they do the show because they don't have too much of Gordon and the Gotham PD in the movie. That is a very real concern like if you don't have the characters that you want to in the film just give them their own series so that you give them more screen time yeah i just this all goes back to my whole point that has been since gotham went off is the fact that why not just make a batman show they've got you know superman is getting his own show on cw and i know that's a different universe or whatever but still it's the same thing and they created green arrow arrow just Basically, I mean, a lot of his stuff was taken directly from Batman. Um, Now you've got Batwoman, and so, like, why not just do Batman? Like, you don't have to connect it to the movies. And maybe that's what's going to make this show special, is that it's going to be connected directly to the movies, and Pattinson's going to be there, and Batman's going to be in it, and you're going to be, you know, dealing with this stuff, and maybe if it's a franchise, you'll see multiple movies, and the TV show kind of working in between those movies. That would be interesting. But still, just give us a freaking Batman show. Come on. Yeah, well, I mean, we're getting closer, <laughs> I feel like, especially with uh, with shows like the Superman show you mentioned and Batwoman. Speaking of Batwoman, um, they actually cast the new Batwoman for they the season. Uh, you, you guys know by now that Ruby Rose left the program for uh, whatever reasons they were not very well disclosed. But uh, the other day, the CW officially announced that Javisha Leslie is going to be playing the new Batwoman. And from what I understand, it's a completely new character. Yeah, they're not recasting her in the general sense. This isn't a no. this isn't a, uh, a Terrence Howard, Don Cheadle thing. No, like, no, no, this no, is, this no. is a this new is a, character. This is, like a, this is a completely new character taking on the Batwoman mantle. Yeah, so, right. like, we're, we're not going... Let me, let me see if I can find... We're not going to be getting... Kate Kane as a black woman. Like, that's right. not what we're getting. Uh, 
they're, we're, we're getting... they're not just changing the actor and just pretending that nothing's happened. Right. Like we're getting a you know, Kate Kane is exiting the show, as will the actress, and then you're going to get a new actor and a new character playing Batwoman. Which I only watched the first episode of Batman Batwoman and the crossover <laughs> episode, so I don't know how they're going to manage that. Like how they can just well, explain away that oh yeah, Kate Kane's just gone and this other person is coming in to play that role. Interestingly enough, from what I've read on certain articles, that's going to be one of the story arcs of season two is what happened to Kate Kane. It's kind of like a mystery type thing. Hmm. And and Leslie's new character uh, by the name of Ryan Wilder is going to be someone that's helping solve that mystery. That is awfully repetitive because <laughs> Kate Kane comes into the picture from what I remember. Mm-hmm. It's because Batman is gone. And right. he's not around, and she kind of, you know, literally is like, discovers the Batcave and goes, "Oh yeah, I'm just gonna wear the suit and be be Batman, or I'm just gonna be Batwoman." Um, and that's her. Right. That's basically how she gets started. So, having her get disappear, it's like, okay, oh, yeah, every you know, every season the main character is gonna disappear, and someone else is gonna take their place. I guess. I I don't know. I mean, I guess that's working for the first two seasons, but. You know, I I feel like they're making the best of what they have at their disposal because you don't want to just end the show, but you also don't want to come up with a really convoluted storyline that's going to drop viewership. So I think repeating a similar storyline is better than just trying to um, erase it or something like that. I think that's one of the other concerns that they had is that there has been a stigma for the last decade or so that anytime there's an out character like LGBTQ plus character in the show and then they just get phased out or whatever that they don't explain what happened. Right. Like, uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm not as in tune with that community as I'd probably need to be. But from what I understand from some of the articles and Twitter posts and stuff is that, um, a lot of times when those types of characters get removed from a TV show, there's no rhyme or reason or explanation as to why. And you're just getting rid of the gay character. Basically. Right, and it and there's a lot. I mean, representation is a huge deal. If you start looking into it, like you know, just I mean, it's become a joke. But like you know, you have the, the token black guy <laughs> that gets killed in the horror right. movies. Like right. that's a joke, but it's a real problem. It's a real. It's a real thing that happens, and you don't have enough black characters and black actors in these things to begin with, and then things. It's cool. Taking off of that, it's cool that we have a black actress. And maybe the first African American ever on live action to play a bat character. That's the, that's what I understand. At least the first uh, black actor to be portraying Batwoman for sure. That's cool. So you know, oh. so they've lost the they've lost the LGBTQ angle, but they gained not, the not know, exactly, not exactly. Oh, not exactly. Part of the stipulation that they had when they were recasting for Batwoman was they wanted to find somebody, an actress who was LGBTQ. Okay, there you go. So actually, Leslie is um, is an out bisexual in real life, and her character is going to be uh, portrayed as a lesbian. All right, there you go. Right right along with Kay Kane, I mean, as far as exactly. it goes. So, exactly, so exactly. So that angle, that angle is still in effect, and you double down, I guess, with, with Leslie's representation in other aspects of life as well. Yeah. So... 
So I, yeah. I'm actually intrigued. I'm actually intrigued by this. I, I wasn't to. a huge fan of Batwoman. I didn't like – I liked the first episode. I didn't go back to it. But this, like, makes me go, okay, how are they going to write around this? How are they going to yeah. actually make this work and make yeah. it happen? Because I'm still invested in the Arrowverse. Like, I still – it's in that universe. I still want to go back whenever the new Arrow show comes out. I think it's Green Arrow and the Canaries or something like that. I want to watch that. Like, so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm interested in, like, what's going on and keeping up with the story. So I, I want to check this out. It's interesting how even as – the flash is probably starting to wear down or, or it needs to wind down. And, you know, the arrow just finished up, you know, the, the two pilot programs that kind of spearheaded this entire universe, they're kind of on their way out, but then you bring in stuff like Batwoman and green arrow and the canaries and Supergirl and stuff like that. There is a lot more opportunity for representation on this series than there was when it first started. And I'm proud of the CW for recognizing that opportunity and taking advantage of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think as far as like representation and putting up like, yeah, you can say, oh, why not a Batman character? But like you can look at the flip side of that. Oh, we've got a Supergirl. We've got a Batwoman. We've got, you know, these great female characters. We've got LGBTQ characters. We've got, you know, black characters. A lot of great representation and giving characters that people never heard of before probably or were like confused like we heard of you know Batgirl Batwoman whatever you maybe heard of them in passing but like actually giving them their own series and uh, making them a huge part of this universe and presumably like you watch Crisis and it's like oh yeah these, this is the new Justice League in this movie like this well, is uh, yeah, go according, ahead. according to Steven Batwoman gets better after the Crisis episode so okay. maybe right. just Maybe you just need to pick up from after the crisis episode. Yeah, I figure. I mean, they usually have like the you know the, the recaps and stuff like that. Like, yeah. And with those CDW shows, they are so convoluted. <laughs> it's hard to know what's going on anyway. It's not, it's not a CW show if it's not convoluted. You have to be invested in all of them or none of them. And honestly, I think my breaking point was Legends of Tomorrow. That like, show is nuts. Like that show was just really nuts and it's really convoluted and I wasn't too invested in the cast. And when I had to get invested in that in order to understand what was going on with the arrow and the flash and everything else, I was just like, I'm done. (laughs) So I, I have not been invested in the Arrowverse in probably like three or four years, which is why we're not doing like season reviews of those shows. Like we used to do. Remember when we used to do reviews of the arrow? Yeah, we used to do that. Yeah used to do like i think we've got like a season three two-parter review from our early days of the podcast and now it's like we haven't done that in a while yeah. <laughs> like quite a while right and now so, it's over <laughs> right right that like that that's another weird thing ipc has lasted longer than the arrow has <laughs> who would have thunk it who would have thought uh, i don't know man I don't know. We got a lot of longevity, and we got a lot of things out there to discuss. I already know what our next story arc is going to be, yeah. and it's another it's another series that we've never done before. Like, there's still so many things out there that we can discuss. We've done a few revisited episodes from time to time, like, oh, yeah, we talked about The Dark Knight, but let's talk about The Dark Knight again. Well, there's just – there's so much stuff out there that – like it's really tough to actually decide to go and revisit something because there's still so much new or not visited yet that we still have to get to. And I know at least one long-time listener of the show that's going to be very excited about our next story arc. Uh, this yeah. person has been asking us, pleading with us, begging us to do this series, 
And, uh, yeah, we're finally getting around to it. But uh, that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to announce what we're doing just yet. Maybe we'll do that on next week's episode. But I know there's going to be at least one person that is going to be super satisfied with our next discussion arc. But we got to finish up this discussion arc first and foremost. We've been going through Disney's underrated movies. And apparently all of these things, except for The Great Mouse Detective in the late 80s, all of these ones that we've wanted to talk about have happened somewhere in between 1998 and 2002. Yeah, yeah, and this is early, yeah. I never I never realized that until now, but Atlantis was 2001, and uh, what was the one that we discussed after or before that, after okay, that? Treasure Planet. Treasure Planet was 02, wasn't it? Right. Treasure Planet was 02, and now we're finishing this Disney's underrated movies. Let me, let me recap. We started with Great Mouse Detective, and then we did... Did we do Atlantis first and then we Treasure did Planet? Atlantis, yes. Yeah, Atlantis and then Treasure Planet. And now we're hopping back a couple of years to uh, December of the year 2000, which I didn't realize this movie came out in 2000. I thought for some reason it was 02, but I I guess I just forgot. I don't know. <laughs> um, this is quite possibly one of my favorite uh Disney movies in general, not just one of the most underrated Disney movies, but just in my opinion, one of the best Disney movies of all time. And, you know, we've had a lot of great Disney films in the last 20 years, even like from 2000 until now, there's been some great Disney films, but I still don't think any of them hold a candle to what we're discussing tonight. And that would be the emperor's new groove yeah 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 we finally I, made it i have seen this movie so many times that i can actually quote it word for word like when it when the from where the movie starts all the way until uh my acorn is missing squeak squeaking squeak squeakity like everything everything and uh there are certain people who can confirm that people who live in my house people who are dating me they know for a fact that I can just quote this word for word for word. And sometimes it's kind of amusing. Sometimes it's kind of annoying, depending on who you ask. Gets a little but, out of hand. But, it, I mean, like, I just, I love this script. I love these characters. I love the music. I love the animation style. I, I love just about everything about this movie. And uh, it, it's one that I can watch over and over and over again. In fact, I may end up having to move this into my top five movies I'll never say no to. Wow. Because I just I, – I had quite forgotten how much I enjoy watching this movie until I watched it again last night. And this was my first time watching it all year. Like we're midway through the year, and this was my first time to watch it this year, and I still picked up right where I left off. <laughs> that's amazing so you've got one end of the spectrum with me having seen it multiple times and correct me if i'm wrong but wasn't this your first time watching it this is my first time ever watching this in wow film. and i should i should back up just here for a second because for those of you listening in the future you will at the top of the episode have heard a little trailer as I usually put a little trailer of what the what we were talking about up at the top of the thing with the first thing you hear. And that trailer is for, of course, The Emperor's New Groove. That trailer, 
I can't put my finger on what movie it was on, but it was attached to a VHS movie in front of thing. It may have been Toy Story or Toy Story 2. Whichever movie that I watched religiously countless times. And, of course, when you watch a VHS, kids, VHS is, is a videotape. I know, it's before your time. But uh, us us old people, we had those. That's how we watched movies back in the day. And, and you, you had to like watch the movie in reverse in order to watch it again. You had to rewind it before you, you could actually watch it. <laughs> and if there was like previews in front of the movie, you had to watch those or fast forward through them. So I just watched them, and there was a couple of previews, and one of those previews was for The Emperor's New Groove. It was that exact trailer that you just heard. Oh, of all things. And that trailer is still ingrained in my brain. I can repeat that trailer back to you verbatim. <laughs> all the lines. So I have had that in my head for ooh, 20 years? I don't know. Close to it. And it's been there. And so watching this movie, I'd never seen it before. But I watch it, and I get to those certain moments, and... You know, several lines, tell me Cusco's dead, and not as dead as we would have hoped, like, like all that. I'm hearing that. I'm like, oh, I remember this. I remember this. And <laughs> I'm getting excited, and all, there's a lot of stuff that's quick, like the whole sequence with them getting, you know, uh, smacked up uh, on the log and then falling into the river. That's all in the trailer. So, you know, yeah. well, sharp rocks at the bottom, oh, bring it on. Like, that whole exchange is in the mo- it's in the is in the trailer and it's been in my brain all this time now i finally have the context now i finally and i can say this movie man i didn't it's funny i've had two big realizations the past week because i watched two things for the first time that have been talked about and hyped up to me for years the first one was hamilton the musical eh. which is on disney plus and that I watched and I'm like, okay, I completely understand where people are coming from when they, they talk about this highly. And so that was a realization. And then I watched this movie and I'm like, wow, that movie is just as amazing, if not better than everyone said it was. And could be uh, could be in my top five Disney movies. Could be. I mean, this movie is wonderful. I don't know where it's been all my life. In fact, I know where it's been. I don't know where I've been, but... Uh, this movie's great, man. I, I'm I'm glad you guys shaved this for last because this one is the best one out of the bunch we've seen. And I don't say that lightly because I've enjoyed oh. all the movies we've watched. Oh, man. But this one is absolutely the best out of all of them. And I really like Treasure Planet, by the way. Um, oh. And it's probably up there in just my all-time favorite Disney movies. Like, it's great. It's so good. There's just, there's so many things about it to enjoy. I think that's one of the things that I like about it is it's not like you just pick one thing about it that you like. Like for some people that really, really like, let's say, uh, Frozen. Some people really, really like Frozen because it's got two female lead characters. Okay, great. Some people really like it because of the music. Okay, great. Some people really like it because of the animation. Okay, great. But that's like sometimes they single that out as like the only thing that they really like about the film. And then some of the other stuff kind of falls by the wayside with the Emperor's New Groove. 
I feel like there are so many different components that blend together so well, like much better than I'm sure even people in the in the studio working on it expected. Because I went and looked at the the IMDb trivia section of this movie, and I found out that it's actually got a very tumultuous past that ended up with the movie almost not even reaching its finished production date. Like, it almost didn't get released at all. Whoa! Like, it, it had a, a very, very rough going in the, in the background, in the uh, pre-production stage, to the point that when they had gotten to about 50% done with the original design, the original idea that they had, they had gotten about 50% done with it and had incorporated some of Sting's music into it and did some, like, uh, focus group test previews like showing people what they've done and try and get their responses it came back with horrible reviews like the initial the, the initial testing that they did for focus groups came back with horrible reviews and they ended up having to retool the entire movie with just two years before the expected release date wow i wonder like, i'd like to see that cut <laughs> yeah really so can, can I tell you about all the negative stuff that went on behind the scenes before we talk about the positives? Yeah, let's do it because I'm, okay. I'm curious. Okay, so I'm just going to be reading like bits and pieces from uh, from the IMDb trivia page. And this is a really, really long paragraph, so I'm not going to do all of it. I'm going to try and do like a synopsis as best I can. Originally, this movie was um, – it was, it was greenlit in the mid-90s soon after the um, – popularity of the lion king had just worn off so it had been green light green lit in like i want to say 96 or something like that like they 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 had they had this idea in mind for several years and they actually uh brought in the director from the lion king roger allers to head this film hmm. it was supposed to be the next lion king Oh, wow. And it was going to be called Kingdom of the Sun. And it was basically going to be a South America Inca retelling of the story of the Prince and the Pauper. Oh, really? Do you, do you know the story of the Prince and the Pauper? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think my my only reference point is Wishbone. <laughs> yes, exactly. The Prince and the Pooch. <laughs> <laughs> Joe gets his wish. He becomes a t-ball coach, but he might have gotten more than he bargained for when this bunch of kids don't know how to play ball. <laughs> oh man, I love that show. Um, but yeah, the prince and the prince and the pauper was about two kids that looked exactly alike, but one was born in poverty, one was born in royalty. They wanted each other's places, so they switched and started living the other one's life. And so, um. It was supposed to be kind of like that. There was going to be a a character that was a, a young emperor played by David Spade, and there was going to be a young peasant that had a striking resemblance to the emperor played by Owen Wilson. Oh, my gosh. You're going to have David Spade and Owen Wilson opposite each other in this movie. And then Eartha Kitt was going to be Yzma, the royal sorceress, who finds out that it happened. And when she finds out that the prince and the pauper switched places, she turns the prince into 
a non-speaking llama <laughs> and, and makes the peasant boy posing as the emperor do her bidding. So she becomes like a puppet ruler and she becomes the, the puppeteer of the peasant posing as the emperor. That's amazing. And um, let me see. While he is a llama, he learns humility in his new form and comes to meet a tough-as-nails female llama herder named Mata, voiced by Laura Preppen? Not the Laura Preppen. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's so funny. Donna from That 70s Show was going to be in this movie. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. But... Uh, the the the, res, the resulting movie that they had created tested very poorly and production was suspended even though it was fifty percent complete. So they uh, made this movie that you're talking about. Yeah, basically. they basically were working on this movie and had the storyline, the voices, all of it was like fifty percent done. They just had to finish the job. It was basically like the Clone Wars when they had the 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 reveal of the what was it the the story reel animation right like the bare was, bones animation it was yeah it was basically like that and whatever the story was it tested poorly with the focus groups wow so and so they went back uh, to the drawing board literally basically and disney management according to imdb was becoming was getting more and more uncomfortable with the movie feeling that it was too similar to the prince and the pauper that there wasn't enough you know, other to it. It didn't have like that magical Disney touch to it. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Although they were unhappy with Allers' direction of the movie, they held off on interfering given that he had just done their biggest hit with the Lion King, which wow. also had had a troubled production. Um, most of Allers' crew was very loyal to the director. And by summer of 1998, it was increasingly clear that kingdom of the sun was not going to make it summer of 2000 release date. They had already had merchandising tie-ins to McDonald's and Coca-Cola, amongst others, which means the movie had to come out in the year 2000. Oh, wow! Like, under the gun! Mm -hmm. And Allers requested a six-month extension, and it was denied. So this is Allers, the guy who directed The Lion King, was denied a six-month extension, and as a result... He quit the movie. Wow. Just so they had away. to. Yeah, the movie was on the brink of a total shutdown. And then his co-director, Mark Dindal, started doing a retooling of the series, which we now see. But while he was working on this retooling, most of his animators were reassigned to work on Fantasia 2000. <laughs> wow. He says the story was rebuilt from the ground up, keeping Spades and Eartha Kitt's character and creating new characters like the Talking Llama um, and then uh, Kronk and Pacha were new creations. Yeah, and, oh, wow. and they ended up they ended up retooling and remaking this movie from 1998 up until the December of 2000 release date that we now know it to have. That is crazy. So the the idea of the setting and some of the animation and stuff was there, but this movie was basically made like the movie that we know and that we see. This movie was quote unquote made in about two years. Wow, I mean, I mean, you're talking about 
a complete overhaul. Like, they're only yeah. keeping, like, the most basic elements. Like, even, like, the story and, like, the basic, like, structure of, like, oh, we're doing a Prince of the Pauper thing was yeah. taken away and replaced yeah. with something completely different. Yeah. And, and I mean, even the name, like, The Emperor's New Groove was supposed to be, like, a, 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 a jazzy spin on The Emperor's New Clothes but even then, The Emperor's New Clothes is about, you know, a foolish emperor who gets convinced of something even when it doesn't happen. Like, that's not even the story of The Emperor's New Groove, you <laughs> no. know? Like, it's it's really not based on anything. They basically had to come up with a completely new story in a similar Inca-type South American, Mesoamerican setting. And this is something that IMDb doesn't talk about. They had to include the music that Sting had already recorded. Oh, my gosh. So they had to take some of that stuff that he'd already done and find a way to incorporate it into this new film. You got Sting on board. You got to keep him. You, you, got, you can't I, waste their time. You got you to retain Sting. And so like it was, it was just so crazy what kind of a, of a whirlwind – of a, of a story that this ended up becoming, but I mean, it, it's turned into one of my favorite movies of all time. So I'm not complaining, but it's just crazy to think about all of the stuff that happened before we ended up seeing what we see. Like I can only imagine the stress that those creators must've been under in order to make sure this movie was ready to release sometime in the year 2000 obviously it didn't come out in the summertime like it was supposed to but i mean to have that 2000 deadline that must have been crazy intense when you hear that in 1998 like <laughs> an animated film in two years it took coco like five or six years you know what i mean yeah these these are labor intensive things like people think oh it's just an animated movie no it's an animated movie like yeah, at least they, with live yeah, action you know emphasis on movie it is a movie i don't care if it's animated or live action to get a movie done in two years is a really grand undertaking like with live action you think oh it's so many pieces but like at least some scenes don't have to be messed with they just film it and they move on this mm -hmm. everything has to be created for an animated movie gotta be and, made scratch. yeah yeah it's it's crazy, but how did this do at the box office? Ultimately, uh, like funny, funny you should ask. I actually happen to have the box office tab uh, open here. Let me see. Uh, where's the budget for it? It talks about the budget. The budget for this movie was a hundred million dollars. Wow! Which in two thousand is more than a hundred million. You got to adjust for inflation. Yeah, but uh, the budget for this film was a hundred million dollars, and worldwide, its worldwide totals was a hundred and sixty-nine million. Okay, so it made back its production budget, but I don't think it made back its marketing budget. Okay, yeah, you're right. So, I mean, I guess it was success. Kinda, I think it was okay. based on mm. based on what I'm hearing. I don't know. Uh, okay, it opened Christmas weekend. I think it was, um, like actually Christmas Eve that this movie like actually released. Oh, and uh, it ended up being sixth. Oh, behind who? I wonder. 
I'm trying to figure that out now. I'm trying to look yeah, at the, and you, for December 24th, uh, 2000. Okay. <laughs> ah, that explains a lot. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, number one for Christmas Eve of 2000 was a little film called Castaway. Oh, no. You, you couldn't compete with Tom Hanks. Uh, and number two of Christmas Eve 2000 was Jim Carrey's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. This is ridiculous competition. Uh, yeah, it was that. And then uh, a movie called What Women Want by Paramount, Universal's The Family Man, and then Warner Brothers' Miss Congeniality. <sighs> wow. And then comes in The Emperor's New Groove at sixth. Yeah, I didn't stand a chance. That was a crap ton of competition at that time. Like, honestly, if you're going to choose, like, what movie you want to go see on Christmas, you're going to go see a freaking Christmas movie. Like, it's a, it's, it's a no-brainer. You're not going to go and watch a, a movie about a talking llama. You're going to go and watch The Grinch. Like, that, that's not even a competition. That is insane. That, that And it's very similar to what happened with Treasure Planet. Well, okay, that movie and, opened up with some pretty tough competition. And think about this. If this movie had come out in the summertime when it was like expected to, it might have had different results. Yeah. like It, it was expected to have a summertime release date, and then all of the turmoil that engulfed it in the last couple of years pushed it back into December. So right. now it's competing with movies like Castaway and How the Grinch Stole Christmas as opposed to whatever the movies of summer 2000 might have been. Right, and there's a lot of summer. You know, there's a lot of, you know, you can put it in a place where it's not going to necessarily, it'll have a couple weekends to kind of own the box office. You know, it, it, there's a lot happening at Christmas, and you're, it's a limited window. Yep, it is. And I know that there are a lot of people that build their Christmas schedules around what movies are in theaters, which makes me wonder if anything's going to be open this Christmas, and what families are going to do if they can't go watch a movie on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Yeah. I mean, this this whole COVID situation is going to really mess up people's Christmas plans this year and next year, because if production is being stopped on movies that are supposed to release Christmas of next year, we might not have anything Christmas of 2021 either. Yeah. Yeah. And especially, you know, not this year, because, you know, what, what do you get? There's no Star Wars. There's no nothing. And, and and I mean, let's face it. The box office needs a kick in the butt right now. They need something really huge to bring people back to the theaters when the time is right and make them lots of money because you know the what was it a few weeks ago the top box office earner for the US and maybe worldwide was Jurassic Park Jurassic Park yep <laughs> it's it's crazy so, it's crazy to think about okay so let's just let's just talk about uh first impressions of this movie obviously you've got the the freshest first impression my first impression came january of 2001 that was the first time i saw it nice. um but I'm, I'm curious what your first impressions of the emperor's new groove are having having seen it so recently and having it being your first time to see it yeah like i said like i love it's like love at first sight for this movie like genuinely like this is up there for me and it immediately pulled me in just the fact that it's so meta with it, it's so like it 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 knows because you think going in this movie, I've seen a thousand memes, I've seen the trailers, seen everything. I basically could probably tell you the rough plot of what it was um, before I actually saw the movie. Um, 
but going in, they're like, oh yeah, you know a llama's going to be in this movie. So we're going to open with a llama <laughs> crying in yeah. the rain, and then we're going to pull back from that and just have David Spade just narrate the entire thing and go, yeah, you see that? Okay, that's what's going on here. And they totally take advantage of the brilliance that is David Spade. The oh, fact yeah. that he is just letting him riff and just do his thing and just it's not just the fact that oh yeah David Spade playing a king that turned into a llama like that's funny but taking it to the next level of let's just let him narrate the entire thing and I love the moment where he just stops the film and like it you see the film just like stop and he's like wait wait focus on me the story is about me all right don't focus on him and he's like (laughs) circling the thing like it's so meta and it's so great I I love just the fact that it's not like this genuine like oh, it's about friendship and selflessness, and it has those great messages, and it's, it's, a, it's a classic Disney movie in that right, but it's also breaking the fourth wall at every turn. Oh, and it's like, so- you know, it's basically like, I think someone else in the, in the chat or somewhere said, it's basically Deadpool. Like, you know, he's just, he knows he's in the movie. It knows the movie is about him, and he's going to just explain to you the entire time, look, I'm the victim! I'm the victim here, all right? Mm-hmm. And it just plays up, and I love when you actually get to that moment in the movie, from the beginning of the movie, he's like, nah, he's, he's, not, he's not feeling it at that moment. Like, he's having a change of heart at that point. Yes. Yes, it's it's so great, and and honestly, it you're kind of borrowing from my notes a little bit. Thank you very much. I was gonna make the point about it being basically cartoon Deadpool. Well, go but, ahead. I put I put it on the table. Go for I, it. I mean, my gosh, the way that he looks straight into the camera, the way that he interacts with the audience, the way that he pauses the film, like I could see Deadpool doing something like that. Like, I could see him stopping the movie and be like, okay, I need to just give you guys a little bit of context here before we move forward. I actually had had a giant mega slurpee right before I had to go fight these bad dudes. So when one of them punched me in the crotch, I actually just wanted to piss all over him. Like, I could see <laughs> Deadpool doing, like, some sort of, sort of weird segue like that to explain why he peed his pants or whatever. But that, like they basically take those components, that breaking the fourth wall element... And make it family friendly. And they take it and he's like, um, hi, it's me. Just going to pause for like two seconds here. I'm the one in the cart. Remember, this story is about me, not him. Like, <laughs> it's, it's the whole it's the whole classic David Spade Saturday Night Live improv type of thing. You know, like it, it's that ability to just take something that seems pretty common and just turn it on its head and make it super funny. And we get that a lot with Ryan Reynolds and Deadpool, which I know you can't relate to because I don't think you've seen either of the Deadpool movies, have you? Oh, I've seen the first one. You've I've seen, seen the, the first, first one. Enough oh. to know that I despise it. Wow, that actually surprises me. I thought that type of humor would be right up your alley, but okay. Um, but now, I mean, we'll, we'll have to discuss that one of these days. We'll have to discuss maybe. it. Maybe. Maybe on an episode of R.I.P.C. I think that would be an appropriate place to talk about it. You are correct. R.I.P.C. is back, by the way. Just a little little reminder that that show is back with a couple of episodes a month with my buddy Sage over on the Phantom Empire Network. And we're going to get Ben on the show. We're going to get Jake on the show and, and do some really cool stuff with that. And if you're a patron of the show, um, you're a patron of I.P.C., rather, then you'll get the exclusive video content as well. We've got special video feeds just for patrons you can listen to the audio if you want to but if you want to actually watch us talking about these movies 
then uh, go find us at ipcpodcast.podbean.com. Hit the uh, patron button to find out all the details about how to get involved with everything that we're doing. And uh, maybe you'll get some exclusive benefits along the way, too. But Absolutely. I, I love I love the whole Deadpool dynamic of breaking the fourth wall. It's just it's so it's so fun and so funny and fits the film so well. I think the thing that I really like too is that in the moments where he is like pausing or breaking the wall or whatever, he's actually still a llama when he does that. You know? Like he's he's in the bag, in the cart, at Potch's house, in that bag, he's a llama. When he hits the pause button, he's using the marker with his llama claws, you know? <laughs> like, he's not hes not Kuzco from the future reliving these things. It's like he's, he's stopping it midway through while he's still a llama and trying to, like, correct the storyline and be like, you need to focus on me. Pay attention to me. It's very self-centered, which is very David Spade in nature, but it's not very Disney in nature. That type of selfishness and self-centeredness is not really one of the components of the key characters that we get in other Disney movies. Like, think about think think about all the other princesses and princes and, and other characters that are like either giving of themselves or or doing something to carry on a family legacy, like like Jim Hawkins does um, in Treasure Planet, or milo you know fulfilling his grandfather's legacy by going on the expedition like you're always doing it for for someone or something else but a lot of this movie is centered selfishly around kuzco right and that's just it's it's very different from what other disney movies are about i guess yeah it's it's almost shocking at certain points like how selfish he is and how far they go to illustrate the fact that he is such just a inward looking a hole. <laughs> like yep. he just he just and he's so like oblivious to it. He doesn't even he's so like and, and maybe credit to David Spake for like how he plays that character because he he is totally like oblivious. He doesn't even enter his mind to think about somebody else. He's just like, okay, yeah, you're gonna have to move. I'm going to put my pool on this hill. You, you, you just got to find a place to live. Like, you know, no big deal. You know, you'll you'll figure it out. Like, he cares nothing about anybody else and continues to do so. Even when you think he's made, like, progress. Like, you have the moment where, you know, uh, Pacho puts his, you know, his coat over him. And you think, oh, yeah, this is a sweet moment. He's changed his mind. No, he's like, you know, ten minutes later, like, when, they, when they're crossing the bridge, like, gloating to Pacho that... Like, yeah, nah, I lied to you. <laughs> I was always I was going to portray you. Like, how else was I going to get you to come with me and take me to the palace? Like, yep. so it's so, like, delicious. And he's still, like, a lovable character. But you're rooting against him the entire time because he's like, you are you're a jerk, man. Mm-hmm. And it makes it all that more satisfying when he does, like, make a little allowance. He he realizes his mistake. And that's that's a great message. It's a great message overall, but it's also freaking hilarious and satisfying i mean it takes him so long to come to that realization though like it does like he is spending so much time and energy trying to get back to the palace get back to his way of living uh he is like willing to sacrifice any and all morality in order to like get to an ends justify the means type of situation and like 
it's almost like the bridge collapsing ends up becoming a turning point for his character because now there's literally no no shortcuts. You know what I mean? Like right. he's basically taken the shortcut in life his entire life. We see it all the way at the beginning of the movie when he's a baby. He breaks a toy and he gets like five or six given to him in order to like make him happy again. Like he's had shortcuts and had things handed to him his whole life. And now that the bridge is out, he's got to do things the long and complicated way, basically for the first time in his life. And, you know, he he, he saves Pacha from the little bit of the canyon wall and then like later on in the film after the restaurant scene he realizes that it was pacha who had his best interests all along but it took him that long to see it like i don't know how deep into the movie that is but that's got to be like at least more than halfway through it at least probably closer to three-fourths of the way through it before he realizes that he's actually got a friend and he's actually got somebody that has his interests at heart like it takes a really, really long time to see that. And to me, that's what, what makes such a good character arc, such a good story arc for Kuzco is that he, he stays pretty much an asshole for a lot of the film. And then he basically has like this big revelation moment that makes him do a complete 180. But by the time he's ready to do that, it looks like Pacha has gone. And wow. now he's really stuck. Like, he's got no fallbacks. He's got no shortcuts. He's got nobody to help him. No way out. And now that he's finally realized the error of his ways, he's pretty much screwed. Yeah. Yeah, and he's got his all his priorities screwed up. He's constantly trying to screw over Pacha and mm-hmm. get rid of him and, and, and trying to use him only up until the point where he doesn't need him anymore and trying to get back to the palace and to, you know, Kronk uh, and those guys and then realizes in the worst moment possible that they're trying to kill him. Like he's like, "Oh yeah, they'll take me back, no problem. They'll turn me back." And he's so naive to yep. think he thinks that everyone, at least everyone in the palace has his best interest. Or and he's so naive. They, or at least that they like worship the ground that he walks on basically. Like that's all he's right. ever known. So he he like he didn't even realize that Isma was trying to kill him. Right. Like like, like, even when he realizes that he's become a llama, he's like, Yzma's got that secret lab. I'll just snap my fingers and order her to change me back. Like, like he doesn't even put two and two together that realize, like, she was the one who'd made him a llama in the first place. <laughs> For some reason, that doesn't jive with him. That doesn't click. And it's it's just, it's one of those things that I'm like, how... How do you not figure that out? How do you not how do you not understand that there are people out there that are out to get you? And yeah. I think that's one of the other cool things that I like about this movie. I am always a fan of a villain that accomplishes their goals. You mm-hmm. know, villains that get thwarted all the time aren't really great villains. Look at Megamind. You know, you've got this villain type character who's got all these plans, but they become so um, fallible and so cliche that people just laugh at them. It's like, eh, no big deal, whatever. But I mean, even with Kronk screwing things up, Yzma does get to be Empress for a time. Yeah. You know, she actually does take the throne. They start painting over Cusco's face 
and like start redoing stuff in the palace. She becomes the top dog. She becomes in charge. And if Kronk had actually finished the job, she'd still be Empress today. So <laughs> I like Yzma for the sole fact that she had a plan. And if she had had a better lackey, she would have been able to follow through on it and actually succeed at what she was planning to do. Right. So I love, yeah, villains that are actually good at being villains. No, I'm not looking at you, Kronk. Um, are are good. Are, I, I love them. And she's really just like you. You're 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 rooting against her the entire time and it's it's great when she finally gets turned into a cat a little kitten at the end which is very satisfying but it's also you know i i love that not only is Cusco so selfish but he's so naive to think that everyone cares about him as much as he cares about himself and i like that dynamic and the fact that it takes that the moment that changes him is when he realizes that his own people are plotting against him, and that's right. that's what changes his whole perspective on it. Right, right, and and I think that's when his world kind of collapses in on him to a certain degree. Is like, you know, you know, it's, it's funny. I'm just now realizing this. Um, some of the most crucial moments of this film happen centered around food. <laughs> he gets poisoned slash turned into a llama at the dinnertime scene in the palace. Yeah. And then he realizes that Yzma and Kronk and the people from his kingdom don't really care about him as much as he thought. It's outside of the restaurant when they go to have lunch in the jungle. Yeah, and, and that's that whole scene where oh they're God. in the kitchen. They're in the kitchen. Oh, and she keeps coming in and he keeps going out and they keep changing their orders. It's just so ridiculous. It's, <laughs> a, it's a classic trope. Of the whole back and forth thing with a new spin on it. And it's like, cheese in it, cheese me no likey, cheese out, cheese in. Oh, come on, make up your mind. Okay, okay, okay. On second thought, make my potatoes a salad. Like, and, oh, gosh. And we have to just pour appreciation onto Kronk and Patrick Warburton for being amazing. <laughs> and I love his character. He's so endearing. He's like, he's just trying to do his job. He's just he's trying to he's trying to do the right thing. And here's here's my theory about Kronk. And it has to do with color schemes. But before before I get to my color schemes theory, I, I also gotta mention his his knowledge as a chef. Because it goes from three pork combos, extra bacon on the side, two chili cheese sampler, samplers, a basket of liver of onion rings, a catch of the day, and a steak cut in the shape of a trout. And he's able to take all that. And turn it into three uncles wearing pants, a plate of hot air, a basket of grandma's breakfast, and change the bowl to a gill. <laughs> it's so, and he's like, he's not a bad guy. He's just an idiot. Oh, <laughs> and he's trying, he's trying so hard. And like the quick, the 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 poor cook quits, and he's like, okay, okay, this is my job now. Right, this <laughs> like, is, this I'm is, taking over. This is and my he's, life. <laughs> and uh, he's trying to take orders from these two ladies that are just not having it, and he, he and it's just it's it's just it's madness. It's man, you're right. Like a lot of it has to do with food, which is interesting. Yep. Okay. So here's my color scheme theory. Each of the main characters has a particular color scheme associated with them. If you've noticed this, um, Cusco is predominantly red 
with some hints of gold, like his his medallion and stuff that he wears before he gets turned into a llama. Pacha is predominantly green because of the poncho that he wears. Yzma has a lot of purple surrounding her. And then Kronk, if you look at his outfit, he's got like a predominantly purple ensemble with accents of gold. Huh. So, like, he's got a little bit of connections and ties to Yzma and her purple color scheme, but also some hints of gold, which indicates a connection to uh, to Cusco and to country, if you will. Like, he's he, his color scheme literally indicates divided loyalty. Wow. So he's got devotion to Yzma and to his job, but you also can kind of tell that he's, at, at his very basic core, he's generally a good dude. He's just a little clumsy, a little <laughs> ditzy, a little stupid, but... His heart's like, in the right place. Like, he, he doesn't, he can't even go through with killing Cusco. He, he's trying to help Yzma. Like, he does, he does do her bidding to a certain degree. But then at, a, at some point, his morality also steps in. He's like, I can't take another person's life. To the, to the point that he's literally having conversations with his shoulder angel and shoulder demon. <laughs> Raising That's... number 10. Look what I, I can do. <laughs> what, what has that got to do with anything? No, no, no. He's got a point. That's another thing. Outside of maybe SpongeBob SquarePants, I think The Emperor's New Groove may be one of the most heavily memed creations in existence. Yeah. You're not wrong. There You've are got... so many instances where, like, the no, no, he's got a point. People use that when they're captioning, like, uh, tweets and stuff like that. And then um, the chimp and the bug was a meme for a while. Um, the the six panel, don't tell me, we're about to go over a huge waterfall. Yep, sharp <laughs> off the bottom. Like, it gets reworded. You guys even posted one on the Star Wars Underworld about Darth Vader in Rogue One to the, to the, to yeah. the, scheme, to the scheme of the Emperor's New Groove, that six panel meme. And then, um, and then um, there was the, oh yeah, it's all coming together. Like, people use that Kronk meme all the time. And then the one with Pacha, when he, like, closes his eyes and does, like, the three-finger thing with the with the, with the the music. It's like, when, when he I dro- noticed that one, yes. When he drops the bass and you, like, you see Pacha's hand doing that thing. Yeah, I mean, there are so, so many memes that came out of this movie. And as I'm... As I'm watching it last night, I'm sitting here going, okay, that's a meme, that was a meme, that's a meme, that was a meme. That's that was just that was just a thing that that I ended up catching on to uh over the course of this movie, which which is so weird because this movie came out almost twenty years ago. This December it'll be twenty years. Which it's is all, it's crazy. All, almost twenty years old and it's still being memed today. How crazy. Got, I mean, and and it's funny. I think like in the meme hall of fame, there should be like the most meme things ever. You've got, I don't know, maybe no particular order because I don't know who to put up ne- up up top. But you've got Revenge of the Sith, you've got The Office, and you've got Emperor's New Groove. Those are like the meme kings. I of, I would, of, I would put SpongeBob up there too. You're right. Okay, SpongeBob is is number four. 
That would that would be that would be like the Mount Rushmore of memes, probably. Yep. There although, you go. Although we probably shouldn't use that analogy because Mount Rushmore is disliked right now, apparently. <laughs> We'll we'll get some dislikes. We'll get some bad reviews by mentioning right. Mount we Rushmore. Just to, we just need to come up with a fifth one so that we can use the IPC genre and be like, this is our top five meme formats or something like that. Oh, boy. Yeah. Let's not get into that. <laughs> not going down that road. Um, okay, real quick, something I need to mention before I forget about it. Freaking Tom Jones is in this movie. Who? Tom Jones. The guy that sings the song at the beginning at the end is freaking Tom Jones. Who's Tom Jones? Oh my god. Come, chat, can you believe this? Can you believe this? He doesn't know who Tom Jones is. It's not unusual to be loved by anyone. That, is that ringing a bell? It, yeah, that does ring a bell. <laughs> I only know that because of Carlton, not because of the artist. What's new, pussycat? Come on. Tom Jones! Okay. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Well, I don't feel so bad now not knowing certain things now. All right. Oh, my uh, gosh. Yeah, but freaking Tom Jones. I'm not the only person that had to have freaked out when I heard, like, I know that voice. I know that voice. It's freaking Tom Jones. He's doing the music. And they got Sting on top of that. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. It, like, again, so many great things about this movie. Like, Again, so many things that you can look at and be like, oh, that was awesome. Oh, that was yeah. awesome. For me, it was always the cast. It like it was always the cast. You, you've got David Spade as Cusco, John Goodman as Pacha, Eartha Kitt as Yzma, Patrick Warburton as Kronk. Like, that is just an all-star lineup. And then Wendy Malick was uh, Pacha's wife. And let me see if if I can come up with some stuff that people might have known her for because she was in some other stuff. Um, what was it? I know I knew her from something else. Oh, apparently she was on BoJack Horseman. That's funny. I didn't even know that. <laughs> she was on the TV series American Housewife. Uh, what was she in? Kulapari. Oh, that's where I knew her from. Um. And then she was also in Kung Fu Panda Legends of Awesomeness. <laughs> so she's done some animated stuff, but I think she's done some other stuff too. She she actually do you, did you know that after this was done in uh, like oh five oh six, they ended up making an Emperor's New Groove TV series. Maybe I heard this. I'm not sure though. They called it the Emperor's New School. Where oh yeah, I think I saw this. In order, in order for him to become emperor, he's got to graduate school first. <laughs> and uh, apparently, that rule was made up by Isma, and Isma becomes the principal of the teacher that Cusco is going to school at. Oh my and god! She's doing she's doing everything she can to fail him so that he can't become emperor, and she can become empress. So <laughs> it's a prequel. That's interesting. Uh, I don't know if it's like a prequel or a sequel. Um, oh, she was in several episodes of Frasier. That might be where I know her from. Interesting. Yes, that is where I know her from. Okay, she's Ronnie Lawrence on Frasier. She was a she was a love interest of one of the characters on Frasier. Oh wow! And that's I remember hearing her voice and going, I know I've heard that voice before. And then I looked her up on IMDb and I was like, Oh my gosh, she's from Emperor's New Groove. That's funny. 
Uh, okay. Crazy. Here's why I love this cast. And I know that this is not possible now that Eartha Kit has passed away. But the cool thing about this cast is that you can take all of those those leading characters and they could theoretically play themselves in a live action slash theater production of this film. I love that. I love that idea. You could take David Spade and he could be the spoiled Cusco. You could take John Goodman and he'd be the more heavy set Pacha. You could take Eartha Kitt who turns into a cat in this film and played Catwoman in the old Batman TV series. <laughs> the old yeah. Cat West Batman Eartha Kitt was Catwoman. Like, people believe that that is actually a callback to her days on the Batman series that she turns into a cat in this movie. Makes sense to me. And then Patrick Warburton, I mean, can you can you imagine him as Kronk? He could totally play Kronk. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's He is Kronk. He, he is Kronk. <laughs> he embodies Kronk. That's why Kronk got his own movie, Kronk's New Groove, which turned out to be a cluster of a movie, but... Oh no! He was, that he was, sounds like a bad idea. As he much was as I love so Kronk. he was so popular that he got his own movie called Kronk's New Groove. Yeah. Wow. He he became mm. he became this franchise's edition of like the Minions. You know how the Minions got the Minion movie, right? Patrick Warburton got his version of the Minion movie before the Minion movie even existed. Wow. Well, I mean, he deserved it, but probably should have been done better. Uh, I don't think it should have been done. I, I I think there should have been like an actual sequel that follows the events of everyone rather than just following the events of Kronk. Yeah, spinoffs. I don't know. Taking one character from a franchise and, oh, we're going to do this character. Like, it, it doesn't. It doesn't work out that well most of the time. So, I mean, I was I was telling... I was telling my girlfriend when we were watching it last night, I said, if there was ever a movie that needed a live-action CGI adaptation a la Jungle Book or Lion King, I would want it to be this film. Absolutely. I'm, I'm game. And here's why. Here's why. I think we are finally at the point of our lives where CGI has caught up to that transformational dinner scene. You're, you're watching a human turn into a llama right before your very eyes because of the magic potion. You don't do some sort of cut scene, cut away, and you come back and all of a sudden he's a donkey. You're, or, or a llama, rather. You see his hand become a hoof. You see his face get elongated. You see the neck stretch out. I think CGI is finally at a place where you could do something like that and it would look believable 20 years i I say i say 20 years ago it couldn't but i think today it could i say look no further there's a scene in the live action aladdin where abu turns into an elephant like that that's a transportation scene that actually really works well Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely so i'm of the mindset that if they wanted to this would be a movie that i could see getting a live action remake but because of its original box office numbers, I don't see that happening. Every, yeah, and see, everything else that has gotten a live action adaptation has had great box office numbers. The Jungle Book, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, Cinderella, 
um, I mean, maybe if you want to count Maleficent as a live-action version of Sleeping Beauty, that might yeah. be like close to towing the line. But for the most part, everything that has been made live-action, Mulan even, they've all been pretty much box office hits. Emperor's New Groove was not such, and I don't think they're going to take that kind of a risk, unfortunately. Well, I mean, someone, I think someone on Twitter or something said something along the lines of, well, why do they keep rebooting these popular movies? Why don't they pick something that didn't do well? Why don't they bring that back and, and reboot it, you know, or a la Disney, put it put it to live action, put it a live an animated movie to live action? The problem with that is the whole reason reboots happen is because it's just recycling for studios. It's taking a good idea that worked and doing it again. Instead, you're not just re-releasing it, you're making a whole new thing out of it, and right. you're banking on this is going to have brand recognition with the audience, people enjoyed this or whatever. So, that's why like you don't see movies that were unsuccessful, you don't see Battlefield Earth getting a remake anytime soon. It just right. doesn't happen, because nobody right. liked that movie. It was a, from my, what I understand, a absolute travesty, so it's not going to happen. But, 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 I would make... I would counter my own point and say that Emperor's New Groove has developed this very strong cult following. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's considered a Disney classic, not even underrated Disney classic, just a Disney classic all to its own. Because, you know, all these years later, people that have grown up with this movie really, really love it. Right. And so... I feel like it does have the brand recognition. It does have – if they announce this tomorrow, that they're doing a live-action version of Emperor's New Groove, people would be losing it out of their minds, I think. And I don't know. I would love to see that. I think that I think this movie that would translate well. It's obviously more cartoony and whatever, but they really could in – the, in the age of Deadpool, they could play to that and actually make that work and say, hey – Let's cast Ryan Reynolds <laughs> if David Spade doesn't want to do it, <laughs> and oh, uh, and we're we're gonna do it, you know. And let's let's just all go all out. I mean, here's the thing: Cusco's supposed to be like 18 years old. Oh yeah, you're right. That age wouldn't work, would it? But I feel like there's there's definitely people out there who could do it. I I just I I I don't know who would be the right casting choice for it. But I do think Warburton could still play Kronk, and I think you could find somebody to play Yzma easily enough. Yeah. Uh, like, and, and if Goodman's willing to come back and do it, they could do something in order to, to get him to play it. I I don't know. But I would prefer that, that Goodman come back as Pacha, but I don't know if he would do it considering uh, it's been 20 years since he played that role. Right, right. I think at this point you might be looking at a whole new cast, you know, and or a la, a la the Lion King, you kind of get an all new cast plus like one person from the old cast. You know, right. John Goodman could be the James Earl Jones of this movie. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, I, I, I still think that this movie is kind of underrated though i know that you're saying there are a lot of people out there that call it a disney classic but the the, the problem that that i would have giving it that designation is when people are listing disney classics at least in the circles that i run with 
a lot of the ones that they end up mentioning first are along the lines of the Little Mermaid, the Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, uh, Cinderella, Snow White, etc., etc. If you don't mention it among those groupings, then you kind of have to like toss it in there and be like the Emperor's New Groove, and then people will be like, "Oh yeah, I forgot that was a thing. I forgot that was Disney. I forgot about that movie." At least in the circles that I run with, a lot of the times that movie gets a second thought, not a first thought. And, right. And that's why I kind of put it in this demographic along the lines of Treasure Planet and Great Mouse Detective and Atlantis. Because when you talk about underrated Disney movies, all of a sudden that starts generating a different conversation. There are people who say stuff like The Brave Little Toaster falls into that category – I would venture a guess that something like Meet the Robinsons and Lilo and Stitch might fall under that category as well. There's a lot of people that love Lilo and Stitch, though. I don't know if that would count yeah. as much. But there, like when you mention the word underrated, all of a sudden it brings in a whole different mentality, whole different mindset. And I feel like that other mindset is the one where – where people start talking about the Emperor's New Groove more often than in the classics category. Yeah, and you know, you have to consider multiple things like for example, you know, it is if you go online, you'll you'll see, you know, memes about Emperor's New Groove and people talking about it and how much they love it. And but say you go to the Disney parks, you're not going to see anything about you're not going to see rides de- devoted to Emperor's New Groove. Although that would be a really great ride. It would be, but Disney, Disney, the company Disney, does not see the value in it. There's your thing right there. They don't see the value in, oh, we're going to create a ride or something like that. They don't – they're not doing the research, and I would you know, say that probably there's people at Disney that are a lot smarter than me and have done a lot more research and know what people want and – you know, maybe Impersonal Groove is not in that category, Dude, unfortunately. They've got the ride built into the freaking movie, though. You're right. It's there. It's right there. It's literally right there. All you've got to do <laughs> is take the same voiceover that you have at the, in the movie, where just when they're getting ready to release, you hear the voice that say, please remain seated and keep your arms and legs in at all times. Whoosh! And it's like a, a magnetically released... Uh, a roller coaster ride. That Crunk, sends... pull the lever. Pull the lever, Crunk. Wrong Like so many people would actually say that as the ride's getting ready to release. Like we've got a ride like that at Six Flags here in the Dallas area, um, where it, it's, it's called Mr. Freeze, and it's it's like a supercharged magnetic release where basically it's it's two uh, two of the same magnets i want to say and uh they get really close together and then there's like a a pressurized hydraulic system that helps with the pushing process but it basically shoots you out of the gate along the track through the whole thing going forwards you peak at the top and then momentum carries you back down through the whole track backwards and takes you back into the station where you first came from wow i think that sounds like fun I think they could – oh, no, you would hate it. (laughs) (laughs) And you've been on rides with me before, so you would know. Don't you bullcrap me with any of that. 
<laughs> you who didn't even like Tower of Terror for crying out loud. I just, I realize <laughs> going on that thing again, it's fun. It's Guardians of the Galaxy. It's great. I am just not a fan of falling. It's my least favorite thing. I don't know what it is. It just does not sit well with me. And so, yeah, that's why you heard the, oh, God, oh, God. <laughs> oh, man, we had so much fun on that ride, though. Like, uh, people, it's like the, the, the ride operator asked, is this anybody's first time riding this? And I raised my hand because I didn't get to go on it the last time I came. And then I screamed louder than anybody. And I, like, put my hands up in the air, and I was waving around like an idiot. And we got off the ride, and people, like, started bumping shoulders with me as we were leaving going, you sure that was your first time riding this? I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Oh and then we went, read, went, went, went and rode on it again. <laughs> or at yep. least me and Dominic did. And then I peaced out. Well, okay. But I think one of the other things that I really liked about that ride, and this is one of the other things that I think they could do really well with the Emperor's New Groove if they made it into a ride. There's a lot of architecture. There's a lot of design. There's a lot of of pottery and statues and garb and paraphernalia that's associated with this movie. And one of the things that I've noticed about Disney is that the line that you're waiting in is almost as entertaining as the ride you're waiting in line for. Yeah. Especially mm -hmm. rides like Indiana Jones, Guardians of the Galaxy, Star Tours. Um, there's just there's a lot, a lot. There's a lot of rides that are like it, where you're you're in line, yes, but you're also enjoying the wait. Like uh, the Millennium Falcon ride, we're seeing a lot of stuff from the spaceport as we're walking up to go ride the Millennium Falcon. As we're waiting for the for the staging to go do the simulation, we're sitting around the Dedrick table. Like there there are things about it that make it immersive, and I think they could make it an immersive experience as you're waiting in line to look at some of the Mesoamerican architecture, some of the design, some of the stylizing that they did. They basically crafted an entire animation style around Incan architecture. Yeah. Do you realize how difficult that is? What kind of an undertaking it is to look at pieces of, of Incan and Mayan culture, history that existed maybe hundreds or thousands of years ago, and then take that and animate it. Yeah. And animate characters that fit the mold of what you just animated. Like, they yeah. did a lot to make this movie look right. And in my opinion, it's one of the more gorgeous films of the early 2000s. That's not a knock on anything like Shrek. That's not a knock on anything like Atlantis. It's not a knock on Treasure Planet even, which I think is also a gorgeous film. But the, the, the way everything looks and feels so cohesive and together is another reason why I love this movie. There's always something that I can take away from it. And a lot of times I'm looking at some of the visuals. It's, it's so, so good. Yeah. That's, and that's one big takeaway is, is the visuals. I mean, it's, it kind of fades in the background when you've got a lot of really great stuff going on in the foreground, but 
it's it's still it makes it all the much more better and the, and the work that they went into kind of recreating this stuff and the fact that's you know they always try to base these Disney movies off like real world stuff you know and try to get into even when you're dealing with like Atlantis like all that stuff was like they were drawing on a lot of inspirations from different things different cultures right so you know that's what makes it interesting did you have a favorite character was it Kronk let me guess it was Kronk Probably Kronk. Probably yeah. Kronk. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be Kronk. I, I I can't say any otherwise. Even though I loved, I love Cusco. I love Pacho. Like I I love all the characters. Like man, uh, he, every time he's on screen, you're like, uh, you know, uh, come on, man. <laughs> I do. He's so lovable. He's such I a lovable do. moron. <laughs> I do love Kronk, and he does make me laugh a lot. But I think I might have to give the nod to Cusco, honestly. Really? Because, because I love his character arc. I love his character arc. One thing about Kronk is he pretty much stays the same. He he pretty much is at the end of the film who he was at the beginning of the film. Like he he doesn't really grow or change a whole lot. He does have that moment of truth where he decides to save Cusco from a a waterfall death. But I mean, aside from that, there there's really not a whole lot of growth in Kronk's character. Whereas Kuzco starts out as a spoiled brat. And by the end of the film, he's slumming it with all of the other peasants. You know, I don't think, I don't think many people realize this, but he, he like at the beginning of the movie, anybody touches his arm and he goes, Whoa, no touchy. But <laughs> by the end of the movie, by the end of the movie, he lets Pacha and his family join him in a group hug. There's so much development. There's so much subtlety in his development. Mm-hmm. It's it's great. It, it it's it starts out it starts out kind of subtle, and then like I think the other thing I love is the realization that he's changing. Like after he saves Pacha, and Pacha's very aware of it. He's like, "You just saved my life." Cusco's like, "What's the big deal? Nobody's that heartless." And he's like, oh, shoot. <laughs> he, like, gasps and realizes what he just did. And then he's like, oh, crap. And, like, it's a good kind of oh, crap. Because he, he sees that there's change. He doesn't necessarily like it. But he's also kind of low-key embracing it, too. And he, he starts growing and changing even more from that point on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love... Like, and that's, I mean, that's what's so satisfying. Like, when you can watch a movie and you can see where a character stays and where they go and get something out of it, and there's a through line that you can follow, you know, that's so satisfying and so right. And it's even more so when you, like, go back and rewatch it because you're like, oh my gosh, like, Man, he really was an a-hole. Like, yeah. I remember the end of the movie, like, he was really bad, and he came around. So, I love that. I love that whole idea, and I love, you know, just how it's constructed. And it, it helps, because you can make a movie funny, you can make it whimsical, you can make it, oh, you know, it's a fun time. But to actually add some heart to it. Yeah, And that's what I, I've, that's one reason, like, since... And that's something that, as an adult, I think I've started to appreciate it more. In in the in the 
you know, in the wake of films like Guardians of the Galaxy, which is probably one of my favorite films of all time. Yep. It's the perfect film of like, okay, it's goofy, it's funny, it's action packed, but it's also deep down, it's trying to say something. It's yep. trying to, it's giving you something, and it tugs at your heartstrings. You go, oh yep. my gosh, this is yep. actually means something. It's not just dumb fun. Yep. I think that's the essence of what movies are. Not to say that there can't be just dumb fun movies, but I think the best movies are the ones that are trying to do something and trying to influence you, trying to give you with a message, give you with something, and make sure when you leave the thing, you're not just, oh, that was fun. I was like, I can almost like have a new end outlook on life after watching this movie and that's the thing and in Cusco is like the the just antithesis of like someone who is selfish there's no yeah. one I don't think on earth that is more selfish than Cusco I but would, I would I would say Jackie Burkhart from that 70s show <laughs> I'm or a few other people or a few other people I'm going I'm going through that series right now and I sit here going my gosh what a mm. I don't think I'm allowed but, to say that shit, word of the shit. Uh, yeah. But you can see yourself in Cusco because yep. we're all we all have those yep. selfish tendencies. We all have those moments of I'm caring about me. Yep. I'm caring about what I'm thinking about, what I'm talking about, my yep. well being. Yep. And we can be selfish. It's all it's a thing that happens, unfortunately. And yep. Cusco is that thing and we can look at it and go well, maybe I need to take this a step back. Maybe I need to rethink this, and and maybe, um, you know, you can still have a change of heart like Cusco. That's very true. You know, another thing that I really love about this movie is its rewatchability. Like, I know, I know you've only seen it for the first time, but would you really hate hate it if like your parents wanted to watch it and you had to see it again, like within the next couple of days? Oh no, I, like this is top of my list like okay real story here during quarantine we've had more time at home and I've seen a ton of movies but I also haven't seen a ton of movies but I've seen a lot more movies than my parents have for some reason just worked out like that so now I've been going through and I have a list of movies and I'm like okay we sit down and you're gonna watch this I'm gonna show this to you Emperor's New Groove is like near the top of that list now like oh, yeah. it's there. Like I'm, I want, can't wait to show this to them because I think they're gonna love it. I think anybody that sits down in this movie is gonna love it because it's, it's just, it's, 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 it's classic Disney, and it's a shame that it's been underappreciated because I think it's in the same ballpark as all the other great Disney movies of the past. Oh, I agree. I agree. Like there, there are several instances where I'm like, yeah, this is a blend of, of great family values with laughter and fun that you get with just about any other Disney film. Like I look at the sense of, of, of wonder and enjoyment and heart that comes from a movie like beauty and the beast, for example, you know, beauty and the beast has that fun, wacky, zany side with the BR guest segment, but it's also got a lot of heart as the two of them get to know each other. You've got a lot of wacky, zany stuff in The Emperor's New Groove, but it's also got a lot of heart and character development when you watch the relationship and friendship budding between uh, Cusco and Pacha, and you get to, to see the, the family values when Pacha's family actually helps him escape from Yzma and Kronk. Like, there, there's a lot of really great family-driven values that get driven home in a way that is subtle enough that kids 
maybe just pick it up by osmosis, but deliberate enough that parents and adults are able to recognize it and acknowledge that that is what Disney's trying to do. It's that perfect balance that Disney has been so good at for so long. Yeah, and it's it is exactly what you expect from a Disney movie. You yes. you expect going into a Disney movie that yes, it's going to be fun, it's going to be funny, it's going to be an all around good time, as a wise man once said. Um, but it's also going to have a message to it. It's going to have something to take away. It's going to be trying to teach you something, not just the kids, but right. the adults too. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but adults can be selfish too. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I've I've totally noticed that, especially during quarantine. Oh boy. So I'm going to point out a few subtleties to you that I want you to try and pay attention to for your next time around, okay? All right. One of them being uh, the acoustics. I was very pleasantly surprised this time around to recognize the use of other things that sound like they didn't originate from a studio. Like I don't know if this was due to editing or if they've recorded some elements in places outside of a studio. I haven't done enough research to actually say for certain. But one of the ones that really stands out to me is when Cusco and Pacha are discussing things in the palace at the beginning of the film. He's like, are you aware of just how important your village is to the Empire? And Pacha's like, well, I know that we grow some of the crops that we use here at the palace – as they're saying that, not only do the words become more faded as they're walking away from that particular camera pane, but at the same time, their voices sound like they're carrying because they are bouncing off of the stone cavernous walls and rooftops that exist within the palace. Oh my gosh. The, the timber is different. The echo is different. The timber is off just a little bit. There are some um, imperfections that make it sound like two people having an actual conversation rather than two people sitting in a studio reading their lines off separately. Right. Like, the acoustics sound like they were actually in a cavernous area having this talk and it happens on multiple occasions like it's not it's not just that scene but like when when yzma is sitting on her throne and she's like and why have you come here today like it's reverbing off of the 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 seeing room you can hear her voice kind of echo and carry in that little line and so like the acoustics of the palace are different from the acoustics of like the restaurant you can you can hear the doors opening and closing and people sliding in and out of the booths and stuff but it doesn't carry the same way the voices carry in the cavernous palace like they paid attention to how the conversations are supposed to sound based on the environment that the characters are in right like I, I, I don't know. I just I found that to be really interesting when I was watching it this time around. And, yeah, and, and that adds to it. Like the fact that there's not just sound; it's like a general sound design to it. I think just adds that much more to the movie and the experience. Yes, I think so. And then one of the other things that I noticed was when they're trying to find the vial at the end of the movie. They're trying to find the, the one that's the human potion 
and then Yzma bumps the potions and it it's like all of the animals to like kind of falling around the human one and you're like, uh-oh, they all look the same. They do this little cutscene where it cuts to just Yzma when she's apologizing, you know, fake apologizing. She's like, clumsy me. Have you ever seen a, like a like a sporting event or something at a carnival or whatever where somebody puts a prize underneath a cup or a hat and then they spin three of them around and then you try and guess which one it's under? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's what that scene kind of reminded me of because as you're watching all the vials bounce around the real one, if you had been able to keep that camera shot – you would have been able to see which one it was that they needed to pick up. <laughs> but because they cut away from there to Yzma as she's saying clumsy me, when they cut back to the vials, you become just as confused as Cusco and Pacha are as far as deciding which one it should be. Right. By doing that cutscene, by doing that pull away, when you go back to it, you have as little clue of which vial it is as the characters in the movie do. Like, the editors deliberately came up with a way to make sure you're not following the vial with your eyes in order to find the right one. And that scene is just hectic. <laughs> it's just like, it's like oh, God, like they keep falling and it, they keep dropping the same vial. And it's just... All of the Madness. cards turn into different animals, like an octopus and an ostrich. And then, like, this one dude was like, hey, I've been turned into a cow. Can I go home? You're excused. Yeah, everyone else, no. You go out. You okay. go find him. Okay. But I did see on, like, a, a, a Reddit thread or something like that 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 may have been a subtle nod to the old phrase, till the cows come home. Because of course it would be. Because it's a cow, and he wants to go home. Oh my gosh. Hey, I've been turned into a cow, and I go home, he's excused. (laughs) And then when they they drink the canals, and the water ends up coming out of the nostrils on the face of the palace, it looks like like the whole building is blowing its nose. I just, I mean, there are so many pieces of this movie that are so funny. So, so funny. The the dinner scene, the restaurant scene, the scene where, where Kronk is talking to the squirrel, the waterfall scene, the, the scene at, at the end with, with, with all of them on the front of the palace and they're fighting with Yzma the cat, like... There are so many sequences about this film that I get a belly laugh out of almost every time. Was there was there something that you laughed at more than others? Ooh, you put me on the spot. I'm trying to think here. Um, man, that's uh, the, the I mentioned it earlier, but the whole the whole him they they they're halfway through and he's and he's at the house. And Pacho's there, and the the camera's focused on Pacho, and you see him. Hold up! Stop! 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 Time out! Time out! And then the like you see the reel of film just like come to a stop. Yep. And you see the the, the different cells. Yep. He's like, 
okay, listen here. This is my story. And he starts crossing out Pacho and starts circling himself. Like, okay, get back to the story. Um, that's That was hilarious. That was probably the biggest laugh from me. Because uh, you weren't expecting it, were you? No, no. It just totally comes out of nowhere. Exactly, exactly. Like, you're you're not expecting it at all, but it it's just it's so entertaining at the same time so one scene that stands out to me i don't know if this is necessarily the best scene or necessarily the funniest scene to me but the first time i ever watched this movie was at my cousin's birthday party he had like a movie watching party where they had bought a certain number of of tickets and didn't use all of them so they invited me to my cousin. I'm sitting next to some rando who I've never met. But during the opening song, when the guards are doing the river dance, you know what? You know the sequence I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. Like, what's his name? Kuzco! Right before he kicks the door down, he's like, boom, baby. There's like all of these palace guards that are basically doing river dancing around him. And the kid sitting next to me points up at the screen front row by the way so everybody else is watching him point he points up to the screen and he leans over to me and goes that is my favorite part of the movie (laughs) keep in mind it's like five minutes into this hour and a half film it's like like barely five minutes and i remember seven-year-old me turning and looking at him and being like you dummy Uh, like you, you dummy! How can this be your favorite part of the movie when you haven't even seen the rest of the movie yet? <laughs> and I asked him that straight up. Seven-year-old me was like, "How do you know this is going to be your favorite part of the movie?" And he's like, "I don't know. I just know that is my favorite part of the movie." And wow. to this to this day, to this day, when I watch that sequence, I look at those river dancing guards and still think. I wonder if that's still that guy's favorite part of the movie 20 years later. Is it or is it not? No idea. Uh, Let me see. Our friend Steven in the chat says that the part where Cusco is mean to the squirrel gets chased by the jungle cats and then gets saved by Pacha swinging on the vine reminds me of Tarzan when Jane is kind of mean to the little monkey gets chased by the monkeys and is then saved by Tarzan. That's a very good point, dude. And interestingly enough, Tarzan came out in 1999 Whereas Emperor's New Groove came out a year later. So I feel like the animators may have tried to do something similar because they saw somebody else working on something similar in the studios because they were pretty much working on those two films concurrently. Tarzan just got put out a year earlier. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, really quick. I need to point out something. Mm -hmm. Maybe you've mentioned it. You've probably seen it before. But I've got to talk about it because it, it dawned on me right in the middle of the movie as it was happening, uh-huh. and I wrote it down. Oh, wow. So, so important so, that you had to write I, Yeah, I, I was taking notes. It was the only note I took, and it has to do with Stephen's uh, comment about the squirrel. Do you know what the squirrel's name is? Uh, Bucky, isn't it? It's Bucky, and, 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 what is, I mean, there's a famous gas station from texas that's named after a squirrel is it not it's actually a beaver 
Oh no! I thought I discovered gold there. It's a big beaver. <laughs> Screw you, Bucky the Beaver. <laughs> Dagnabbit. Interestingly enough, I visited two Bucky's gas stations today. Oh my gosh! Two because different ones. One of so like the first part of my route took me to like East Texas. And there's one in East Texas, just outside of the DFW area, and I stopped there for lunch. And I was driving back into town at the end of my route. It's like 2 p.m. or something like that. And as I'm halfway back into town, my boss texts me and is like, "Um, where are you? And can you go to this place that is in, like, northeast Texas, like, way out of the way from everything else? Like, the second farthest location we've got, just about. And he's like, can you go take a look at this machine? And I'm like, yeah, okay. And then after I finished that, I realized I'm almost out of gas. And so I actually had to stop somewhere for gas. And I was like, you know what? There is a Bucky's on the highway as I'm heading back into town on the north side of town. I'm going to go to that one because I know that bathroom is good. And I know their gas is going to be there. Like, they're not going to be out of gas like some gas stations are. And I can get some snacks for cheap. So I actually ended up going to two different Bucky's today. Nice. Nice. I do like Bucky the Squirrel, though. He's funny. Like, the scene where he's hanging out with Kronk and he's telling all of the stuff that happened between him and the talking llama. He he does, like, this thing where he flourishes his tail to talk about, like, the roaring of the jaguars. And then he, like, does, like, a waving of the fist thing to talk about how he got angry at Cusco. And then, like, he moves his hands around to make it look like he was fastening a, 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 a balloon animal. And you know how sometimes you can do, like, these these flashback type of sequences where you're, like, reliving certain things and remembering certain elements of the movie because of, you know, you're seeing things through someone else's memory? Right. It's almost like they did that. But you didn't actually have to do any flashback, and you didn't even have to hear any English. All you had to hear was some chittering and pantomime from a squirrel, and you're suddenly remembering stuff that happened in the film 20 minutes prior. <laughs> I love it. That whole the, the squirrel cracks me up again. And he's, you know, totally tantalizing me. He pulls a balloon animal out and starts taunting him with it. Oh, my God. Um... Before you meet the squirrel, though, there's a fly that lands on a spider's web, right? Right. Did you know <laughs> that uh, even after the spider munches down on the fly, the fly's not dead yet? What? Yeah. If you turn on the closed captioning for the movie, you can you can see the fly going, Help me! Help me! And then before Cusco starts talking, you know, he says, That was the freakiest thing I ever seen. The closed captioning will say, too late. <laughs> oh, no. So the fly's like, help me, help me. Oh, 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 too late. That, oh, that, my gosh. That's basically what it says. Oh, my gosh. Ah, oh, this movie, dude. This it's movie. Funny. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, if I tried, if I really, really tried... I feel like I could quote the entire thing all the way through, beginning to end. This really? this movie, um, The Phantom Menace, The Lion King, 
and shoot, maybe Madagascar. Those those are Madagascar is up there for me too. Yeah, those movies are ones that I have seen enough times that if I really put in the effort, I could probably quote them word for word. Yeah, I totally feel you there. Oh man. Okay. Well, I was hoping that by now our uh, our third member of the team, Jake Damon, would be able to hop on and join us, but he had a prior commitment. So what we're going to do is we're going to fasten in his uh, his little thoughts slash review of the film as we come out of our commercial break i guess and and uh he'll leave like a an ipc voicemail if you will and then when we come back from that we'll give best moment worst moment and uh final thoughts and planet scores all of that is still to come here on this emperor's new groove edition of the ipc podcast we'll be right back Don't go anywhere. This is IPC. What's up, guys? This is Jake, and these are my quick thoughts on The Emperor's New Groove. Uh, It's absolutely one of my favorite Disney movies of all time, and they just did such a good job with the humor, and, like, it's a great comedy, and and it's an adventure as well. Um, There's there's just a whole, like, breaking the fourth wall element that happens a few times that really adds to it. There's great voice acting and characters uh you got david spade as Cusco, john goodman as pacha eartha kid as yzma and patrick warburton as kronk and uh just the four of them being the main focus of the story is just such a fun fun dynamic and it just works on every level and uh yeah i i have so many favorite parts in here i think the part where uh they that the end part where everybody's animals and uh and uh and the one guy is like um excuse me i've been turned into a cow can i go home and he's like very well you can leave and he's like thank you and uh she's like anybody else but i i love that line um and then uh yeah there's not a lot of weak moments in here for me i can't even think of anything uh, it might drag a little tiny bit when when Cusco's in the jungle uh, all alone, but even that is is fine. It's not not that bad. Um, my favorite character in this is Kronk, of course. Who doesn't love Kronk? And uh, and if you've ever seen the sequel, I feel bad for you. I've seen it. It's such a waste of time. Nowhere near as funny or good as the original. Like most Disney sequels, uh, not everyone, but especially those Disney sequels from the the uh the early 2000s they're just not that great so um yeah so overall i'd give this like a nine out of ten for my planet score it's just really good i highly recommend it if you haven't seen it check out the emperor's new groove and don't check out Kronk's new groove uh that's it talk to you later You want to be loved by 
That was an IPC voicemail from our buddy Jake Damon. Uh, you got to hear his thoughts on the film, and uh, hopefully he included a planet score. If he didn't, we'll include it in our show notes and stuff, maybe talk about it uh, a little bit more out off the top of next week's episode, just so that he makes sure that he gets to voice all of his thoughts about this movie. Because, I mean, Ben, we've spent like over an hour and a half talking about this movie, and honestly, I could still go on and on talking about it. I feel like we've barely scratched the surface. I already am foreseeing a revisited episode for uh, this probably, one. Probably. S- especially since we couldn't get all three of us on right. this one, which right. is a bummer. I know we, we, it was great to hear Jake's thoughts, but uh, having him here in the studio with us at the same time is uh, very important, and we're all looking forward to that. So, yeah, I think it's a given. We'll come back to this because there's so much to talk about in this movie. Yeah. Like, yeah, oh, oh, gosh, I'll have to watch it again. Oh, oh, darn it. Spare me. Spare oh, me. Darn it. Uh, while, we're, while we're thinking of it, go follow Jake on social media. He's Jake Damon on Twitter, Jake W. Damon on Instagram. And then he's got an art account as well at Jexpatch, J-E-X Patch on Insta as well to go check out some of the stuff that he's doing when he's not working or hanging out with family like he's doing this week. And you can follow the IPC podcast on social as well at IPC podcast. Just spell that out the way I said it on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We've also got the RIPC podcast on Phantom Empire. And we've got recent episodes of the podcast available over at our partner site on StarWarsUnderworld.com. Yeah. All right, Ben. We got it. We got to face some of the uh, the unfortunates of of this film. But um, was there anything that you would consider a worst moment about this movie? Something about hmm. this movie that you weren't as crazy about? You know what? No. <laughs> no I'm gonna say no I love that answer because I actually agree with you a lot yes yes <laughs> I I cannot find anything about this movie that I don't enjoy literally from the beginning all the way to the end I I can't find anything that I don't really enjoy the the sarcasm, the wit, the humor, the action, the adventure, the character development, the the, the the art, the everything about it is just so original and so clever and so fun, so enjoyable. Like I don't think this movie really has a worst moment. I really don't. 
I mean, the closest thing I could come to would maybe be the sequence where Yzma is, like, dismounting from her shoulder tent and, like, steps all over Kronk. I don't feel like he deserved that. <laughs> but it's also kind of true to Yzma's character. She literally walks all over him metaphorically, and then she does it physically, so I get it. But that doesn't mean I have to like it. Yeah. Um, best moment. Oh, see, this is hard. This is really hard. There's so many. There's, I mean, I love the I love the opening sequence. I love the whole the whole dancing routine. I love his introduction. I love his fourth wall breaking. Um, the dinner scene I think is great. I oh think yeah, that might be my favorite scene. Just the whole you know them trying to kill him. He's totally oblivious. Again, so naive, so naive. Just they would never. And like he fired her, and she's still there. And he and he's like, oh yeah, oh, no hard feelings, eh? <laughs> uh, so good. Hey, Croc, everything okay back there? Uh, the uh, uh, drinks are a little bit on the um, uh, 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 warm side. Hey, did you see that sky today? Like, what kind of conversation is that? How how do you not get tipped off about that? Also, why does the king not have a cupbearer? Like, that's even true in biblical times. Somebody test out the king's food to make sure it's not poisoned. How do you not have somebody that does that? Like, oh, man. I don't know. I do love that scene, mostly because of the spinach puffs. Like, that's a trope that we have in our family to this day. If, oh my if, if we smell something on the stove that might be on there a little too long, somebody will sniff and go, is something burning? And I guarantee you at least two or three other people in the house will hear that line and then go, my spinach puffs and like run into the kitchen. <laughs> like that's a thing. That's a thing that our family does. And so like I, I love that that's become like a family trope. I think it's so fun and and just hilarious. But I think, I think my favorite scene is the restaurant scene. I yeah, I, I love yeah. everything about the restaurant scene from from the the pill bug that they try to eat and like Cusco gets totally creeped out by it. The the whole sequence where Kronk's talking to Potch and he's like, "Don't I know you?" He's like, "Oh yeah, I was in interpretive dance for two semesters, but I usually stood in the back because of my weak ankles." Like I feel like that had to have been improv, you know. Like I, I, yeah, I feel right. like he just he just had to come up with stuff and Warburton just kind of improved and riffed a little bit and that was one that they threw in there. Like I don't know, and th- there's just so much about that, including the birthday party. You know, the one, two, three, four, happy, happy birthday from all of <laughs> that us. That got me, man. That was so good. <laughs> it was a great distraction. And then Kronk thought it was real, and he's like, "I said I was sorry. You can't even let it go on your birthday." <laughs> Like, he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. And then, and then the cake had, like, 200 candles thrown on it or something. Like, it was, it was a fire hazard. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That, that, the whole sequence, and just the fact that it's, like, totally based on, like, a real diner. There's, like, a real yep. restaurant. You yep. know, in this, like, Aztec, like, whole thing. It's just, it's just, it, it, the, this whole movie, man. This whole movie. It, it was so entertaining. It was so so entertaining, and I I want to I want to watch it again now. Thanks to, thanks to this conversation. There uh, you go. Which uh, like that's that's what I mean about 
maybe adding this to top five movies I'll never say no to. I think if somebody asked me like tonight if I wanted to watch it and I said yes, and it goes back to the main menu, they'd be like, watch it again. I'd be like, heck yes. Like, I think I think that's where I would be. I think I would enjoy it just that much. Play that same movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Steven says, I counted somewhere between 45 and 50 candles, but that's probably still not close to Yzma's actual age. <laughs> You're right, buddy. You are very right. Uh, okay, now we've got the unfortunate responsibility of trying to come up with a score for this movie, and no, we're not allowed to give it an 11. Oh, really? A planet score rating out of 10. What would you give to The Emperor's New Group? We've already got some audience scores from people who are listening live, giving it everything ranging from a 7 to a 9. I'm curious, Ben. What are your final thoughts and your rating for The Emperor's New Groove? Well, this movie absolutely blew me away. It blew away my expectations, and it totally just set itself up to be among my favorite Disney movies of all time. And that's saying something. I love Disney movies. I have a lot of Disney movies at the top of my list, and this one is somewhere in there. Maybe I'll rank them one day, but for right now, i got to say... Emperor's New Groove absolutely lives up to the hype. It lives up to everything that I thought it would be, or I was told it would be. And it's funny, it's clever, it's got heart to it. It's got a great cast with just some wonderful dialogue. And just it's just brilliantly done. And it's a beauty, beautiful all the same with the, with the animation. And, you know, one of the last, like, 2D like animated movies which is kind of sad um but they literally went out on a high note with with these because I think both Treasure Planet I think all the moments we've talked about in these past four episodes have been great but Emperor's New Groove you done floated to the top and that's why I'm gonna give it a 10 out of 10 oh wow oh man we do not dish out 10s lightly on this podcast that is that is extremely high praise fun fact one more piece of trivia about the emperor's new group because it came out in like late december of 2000 it was the last animated film to be released before the oscars introduced the category for best animated film oh my gosh best animated feature film was a category added to the academy awards in 2001 to which the very first winner was a movie known as Shrek. <laughs> wow. So The Emperor's Jeez. New Groove, by coming out in 2000, did not fall into the 2001 category for Best Animated Feature. It was the last animated film released before that category was introduced to the Academy Awards. Mm. And now I can wow. wonder if it had been delayed by another two weeks... Would it have been in competition with Shrek for Best Animated Film? Wow. That's crazy. I, I think it would have. Yeah, I do, I do too. Absolutely. But uh, I would put this against Shrek any day. Yeah. Yeah, I would. And I love Shrek. Shrek's probably one of my favorite movies. Seriously. Shrek? Like, I Shrek love it. It's fantastic. We, no, we really haven't covered a whole lot of DreamWorks. That may be something we need to do uh, over the course of this summer or early this fall. Because we did uh, top five Pixar movies. Have you seen five DreamWorks films where we could do a top five DreamWorks? I believe I have, but if I haven't, I can always fix it. 
well, I mean, I need to watch the How to Train Your Dragon movies, and I've seen the Madagascar trilogy, and I've seen the Kung Fu Panda trilogy, and I've seen the first two Shrek films plus the Prince of Egypt. So I feel like I've got enough in there that I could come up with a top five probably. Yeah. But yeah, I do I do need I do need to watch more. Uh, Steven says we need to do um, Shark Tale. <laughs> I, I'm game. I'm game. I, oh man, I don't know if I would ever be drunk enough to do a Shark Tale episode. <laughs> oh, but gosh. my final thoughts on The Emperor's New Groove. Um, I love this movie. It's basically a, a, another extension of my childhood. It, it came out when I was seven years old. So some of my earlier childhood memories are centered around movies like the lion king and uh and then movies like the emperor's new group and uh, i watched a lot of musicals as a kid too i watched stuff like mary poppins and the sound of music and stuff like that but uh, a lot of my disney films that i remember are centered around the likes of lion king and emperor's new group and so i feel like my my storytelling appreciation comes from a film like this. I feel like my appreciation for cast members comes from a movie like this. And I also feel like my sense of humor kind of comes from uh, from this film. Because that sequence where they're on the cliff trying to reach for the rope after they have the fight on the bridge, you know, Cusco is sticking out his neck and he's like, you know, it's a good thing you're not a big fat guy. This would be really difficult. <laughs> he's being so sarcastic to the point that when I was a kid I thought he was serious <laughs> and I was like man if this guy's not a big fat guy then what do you constitute as a big fat guy like I didn't get it it went over my head but now that it, it's not going over my head I think it's hilarious and That's so crazy. I think elements of my sense of humor also come from this film so there's just so many things that I love about it and so few things that I would find to knock on it. I think it's 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 perfectly paced, great characters, great action, great storytelling, great music, great animation. I don't have one single complaint about this movie. So you know what? Screw it. I'm giving it a ten out of ten as well. Woo! Yes. I don't I don't even care. And Steven says the only reason I don't give it higher than a nine is because there are movies like Tarzan and the Lion King that I also really enjoyed more. I get that. But to me, Lion King's also a 10 out of 10. So, like, the, these are probably two of my favorite Disney animated films of all time, and they're both going to get a 10 out of 10. I'm glad we're on the same page. Did we ever decide Boy. on what the quote of the night was going to be? I don't think we did, but I was going to leave it up to you. Oh. Because I can get anything you would like. You just gotta think of it and oh. say it, and I will make it happen like magic. You know what? You know what? What I'm gonna do is we've got a lot of people listening live on channel 1138 right now, and we've had a pretty engaging chat. I'm gonna say thank you to our patrons and stuff, and leave the quote of the night up to the audience. Hey, hey, we'll we'll do. Hey, how about we do plugs really quick? We'll, yeah. we'll do our social media stuff. We don't want to do it at the end of the show, and then we'll do the exactly. equivalent after that. Exactly. The the thank you to our patrons, because I didn't do that after the commercial break. We'll do our plugs and stuff, and uh, I'll leave the, the nominations for the quote of the night up to the people in the chat. I know Steven has already submitted, oh, yeah, it's all coming together. That's a possibility. 
Anybody that's listening live right now on channel1138.com, submit what you think the quote of the night should be from this movie while we say hello and thank you to people like Joey Mays, Jake Damon, Rachel Perry, Dan Grievous, Parker Ott, Carrie Fleming, and I believe Francisco is looking at potentially joining us as a patron as well. He was asking us for the link to our patron page earlier in the episode, so uh, he may start getting shout-outs here on the program as well. Let me tell you some of the stuff that you can get as a patron of the IPC podcast. You get membership to the Peacekeeper Corps, which is a hidden Facebook group that we have that gives people previews of what our upcoming discussion topics are going to be, as well as um, possibly some exclusive top fives that patrons only get to be a part of. And if we do submit a top fives prompt to the public, you get top billing for every top five program we do. Before we read anybody else's off, we always do our patrons right off the top. You get guaranteed submission. You get to have your five read every time we do a top five. You also get to be a part of the RIPC membership where you could uh, be able to watch those episodes and all of the stuff that Sage does behind the scenes when we're recording those episodes. You get to see the video feed of the RIPC episodes and not just listening to the audio. Something a little bit more to give you a little more incentive, which, by the way, those episodes are coming up really soon. He's putting the video uh, into their finishing touches phases, and he's going to shoot me the link as soon as it's done. Uh, you also get access to our entire library of episodes. We are on episode 292 right now, which means you get like 275-plus episodes on our Podbean library by becoming a patron. So you get uh, a lot of really, really cool benefits. And if you're a top five sponsor, you actually get to help us decide what our top five topics should be. And if you're available, we'll even bring you onto the show to discuss your top five in person. So there's all kinds of really cool stuff that you get to be a part of by being a patron. And you can find all of that and more by going to patron.podbean.com forward slash IPC podcast. We're not on nice. Patreon. We're not on Patreon. I can't emphasize that enough. We are not on Patreon. Because our hosting site is Podbean, we have a patron extension that we do all of our patron submissions from. Patron.podbean.com forward slash IPC podcast. Absolutely. Um, we also have some other cool stuff available at other places. We've got IPC swag at tpublic.com slash user slash IPC podcast. We've got barbecue related shirts. We've got um, IPC related shirts. We've got um, just some really cool stuff that's like the logo or just the planet. You can get it on mugs. You can get it on notebooks. You can get it on shirts. Um, I don't think it does hats, but it does do stickers. So if you just want like a sticker for your laptop or your car or your fridge, you can get all of that over there too. Um, StarWarsOnderworld.com we mentioned earlier has previous episodes, and we also have previous episodes available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and our main hosting platform, ipcpodcast.podbean.com. Ben, I'm going to take a breath. Why don't you tell the folks where they can find uh, yours, mine's, and our podcast social? Yeah, so you can find Zach here at Zach.TheVoice on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me personally at Ben Hart with no E on Twitter, Instagram, and even Facebook. Um, you can follow our friend Jake Damon 
at Jake Damon or at Jake W. Damon or at Jexpatch on uh, Instagram and Twitter and all those places. So we've got the submission for it's all coming together. And then we also got one that is basically the old man saying, beware of the groove. <laughs> which, which which one which one would you rather hear? Would you rather hear the the beware the groove or or Kronk's monologue as he figures everything out? And then at the end, he says, oh, yeah, it's all coming together. Well, no offense to anyone that may have picked the other one, but you know I'm going to pick Kronk. Yeah. You know I'm going to lean Kronk. I saw that coming. I I knew I knew that was coming. Um but yeah, I do love Kronk and I love I love it when Kronk actually figures things out. <laughs> it's it's the one moment of clarity that he seems to have throughout the whole film because like even after Isma sets off the trap door and then he just shows up at the end of the fight scene he's like what are the odds that trap door would leave me out here <laughs> like it's so convenient but so funny uh but that's not the scene we're talking about we're talking about when he figures it out and it's also uh very memed it's very very memed a lot of people meme the oh yeah it's all coming together so it makes sense that that would be tonight's quote of the night so i'm gonna shut up and you're gonna get to hear from uh mr cronk himself as we give you guys tonight's quote of the night <gasps> the peasant at the diner you didn't pay his check who I saw leaving the city who disappeared into the crowd with Cusco in the back of his cart. <gasps> he must have taken him back to his village, so if we find the village, we find him, and if we find him, we find Cusco. Oh, yeah. It's all coming together. All right, that means there's only one other thing on the docket for tonight's episode. You all know what it is, so if you're listening live on channel1138.com, start putting it in the chat. If you're not, then put it on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and anything else that can carry a hashtag. It's time for another round of hashtag BBQ Watch. Barbecue. 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 All right, so tonight's barbecue watch is pretty straightforward. Um, I'm probably going to end up putting this on the Peacekeeper core if I didn't already. I might have. I think I did. No, I put it on Twitter. I need to put it on the Peacekeeper core. Uh, tonight's barbecue is basically just uh, a little review of some barbecue that I had um, a couple of days ago. Actually, it was yesterday. Um, so uh, on Thursdays, my company will send two people on a route because there's a lot of uh, stops. There's usually like between 22 and 27 stops that you have to do. And it's just more efficient when you've got two people trying to get all that done in one day. And uh, the midway point has um, a, a gas station that is right across the street from a chain called Soul Man's Barbecue. Oh. And uh, it's it's really, really good. They got a lot of variety, and it's kind of a 
an assembly line a la carte style where you can get a meat in two sides or something like that. I ended up getting this uh, sandwich special that was um, – it's it, I, I forget what the name of it is called. I think it's the out-of-sight special where you get diced brisket on like a, a five-inch long toasted sesame seed bun. And then you get uh, two sides and a drink to go with it. And they give you a cup of sauce. It's really interesting how they do it now because of uh, COVID. They, like, scoop out the sides and put them in little containers for you instead of you dishing it out yourself. Um, they just try and, and make it as efficient and, and uh, not going through so many hands as possible. Oh, but, okay. But I had this thing called the Out of Sight Special, and the brisket was so soft and so tender, it was basically melting in my mouth. Oh, wow. It was it, That sounds amazing. It was really, really good. And then I got the, the ranch-style beans instead of the baked barbecue beans. And they came with, like, peppers and onions and, like, little diced bits of jalapeno and stuff in there. And it was soaking in some kind of a spicy marinade. It was really, really hot. And then they had, like, these home-style potatoes that, that uh, were look like they looked like they'd been slow-roasted in some kind of bell peppers as well. So I had like some some sweet from the meat and the sauce and then some heat from my two sides. Got a big old glass of Dr. Pepper to go with it in a souvenir size cup, I might add. I love souvenir size cups. And overall, I think the whole meal was about 11 or 12 bucks for the whole thing, wow. which really isn't too bad when you're talking about barbecue in sizes of this quantity. My friend and coworker uh, Kirby, he ended up getting the, the ribs plate. And I'll be honest, those ribs did look pretty good, but it also looked like he was having a little trouble pulling them off the bone. So I think your family's rib dinners still take the cake as the tops as far as ribs that I've seen, man. I, I well, enjoyed I'll I, take it. I'll I, take it. I enjoyed my meal. Don't get me wrong. But I, uh, I also was kind of glad that I didn't go with the ribs because I probably would have regretted it. <laughs> Yours sound amazing, so yeah, I'm, I'm getting hungry. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. That's what happens. I'm getting... to do this as our last segment of the evening, on a, on a like it, on on a on a night when we're thinking, oh man, I'm I'm ready to eat by about this time. So, uh, <laughs> it's probably about, it's probably about time for us to say our good night so that we can go get something to eat. But, uh, yeah, thanks again to everybody who uh, listened to tonight's episode. Hopefully you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed this movie. Not yeah. very often that we give out 10 out of 10s, but we both did that tonight. Uh, the barbecue photo is now in the Peacekeeper course, so if you're a part of that uh, secret group on Facebook, you can see exactly what I was talking about. And if you're not uh, in that group yet, then hit us up on our main socials and uh, let us know, and we'll see about how we can add you to that. But we've already told you where to find us. We've already told you where we're going to be. Next week is going to be a top five episode, and we're going to reveal our next arc during that episode as well. So it's yeah. going to be one that you're not going to want to miss. But, uh, Ben, I think it's time to call the night. What do you say? I think we did it. I think this was amazing. We talked about an amazing movie, had an amazing discussion. I'm only disappointed that Jake Damon could not be here, but I think we'll work something out in the future. And we did get to hear a little bit of his thoughts. So uh, I think all in all, we done did it. We done did it, and we're going to do it again next week. But that's going to do it for this edition of the Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast, episode 292. 
is now officially in the books. We're inching ever closer to 300, which is a crazy, Ooh. crazy thought. I don't know what we're going to do for 300. I don't think we've talked about it yet, but we're getting there. But that's going to do it for episode 292 for Benjamin Hart and Jake Damon. I'm Zach Arnold. Thank you all for tuning in. We hope that you'll tune in next week. But until that time comes around, we're just going to leave you with this final thought. Learn from the past, but live for the future. And we look forward to seeing you on future episodes of IPC. But until then, good night, everyone. And dictators, political manipulators. There are blue bloods with the intellects of fleas. There are kings and petty tyrants who are so lacking in refinements. Did he better see this ringing from the tree? He was born and raised to rule. No one has ever been this cool in a thousand years of aristocracy. An enigma and a mystery. In Mesoamerican history, the quintessence of perfection, that is he. He's the star of the nation, he's the hippest dude in creation. He's a hat cat in the emperor's new clothes. He's a such selected reading, generations have been leading to this miracle of life that we all know. What's his name, He's the hippest cat in creation He's the alpha, the omega, A to Z And this perfect world will spin Around his every little whim Cause this perfect world begins and ends with What's his name? Cusco! Hey guys, uh, it's Jake here. Just wanted to say hey and sorry that I missed you all last week. Uh, I heard you were talking about the Emperor's New Groove, and uh, yeah, there, there's really not much to say because it's probably the worst movie you've ever seen. I mean, even with the magic component involved, who wants to see a movie about a guy getting turned into a llama? I mean, obviously we're all here for an alpaca movie. And that just totally ruined it for me. Took me completely out of it. And yeah, there's there's just really no redeeming qualities about this film at all. So I'm kind of glad that I missed this week, actually. Uh, maybe we'll have a better discussion next week. Uh, overall, 2 out of 10 stars. And the 2 is just because uh, Sting is in the soundtrack. So yeah, I'll, uh, I'll see you guys later. <laughs>